I'm going to sneeze real quick. Or maybe not. Chew. Oh, Jesus. God, that, I hate it when it's like lurking right at the, under the, right at the surface. <laughs> nah. Okay, no, I think we're fine. All right. Ahem. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that is getting more and more excited for the new edition. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. Uh, no Richard today. It is Father's Day on the day of recording, and he is helping his dad out. So uh, we are just going to carry on with the three of us. Uh, our main topic today is going to be the new Psychic Awakening book, War of the Spider, and a look at... Uh, you know, the changes there it brings for Fabius Bile and the Chaos Space Marines, the Death Guard, the uh, Deptus Custodies, the Sister Silence, all that stuff. But first, as always, uh, news, new releases, and your listener mail. And uh, the news, obviously, is all the bits and pieces that uh, Games Workshop has been leaking. Uh, well, not leaking. They are releasing it on a very careful drip feed uh, for the changes that are coming to ninth edition, and I will say that for an edition that is mechanically pretty much identical to eighth edition, the changes that they are making is going to make this feel like a very different game. Yeah, and I know they said that. Yeah, this is like just going to be a revision, but with all the changes, it, the feel just in my mind at least feels different. I have to see how it plays out, but it feels different. Yeah, no, I think it's good though. I think that. You know, I, I, all the rules that I've seen so far, I think, are going to be positive changes. I kind of view this more as, like, from the game going from, like, indexes to full codexes in 8th edition. Because it's, like, the rules didn't fundamentally change, but there's just more things and more flavor and more tactics. So uh, that's what I kind of view this as. Like, I don't think the core rules are going to change much, but the game will play very differently with the changes they've made. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is is as we look at the changes, some of them are, you know, revisions that I think make a bit more sense, and some of them are some minor, almost de-streamlining, like realizing that they may have pushed too far in one direction in 8th edition, and so kind of pulling back just a little bit, not not terribly so, not enough to really, like, make the game more complex, but enough to just add a little bit more nuance and kind of give some units abilities that they they used to have. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, so we're going to go through these in the order in which they were announced, because that way we can all kind of follow follow suit uh, if you are on the Warhammer community website. So we'll start with what they dropped on June 9th, which was tanks are back on track. And this was to clarify how tanks were going to work. Uh, we know during the uh, original preview episode. You know, like feed that they did. They talked about how tanks would uh, be able to fire into melee. Now we know exactly what that means. So uh, the new rule was big guns never tire. A vehicle or monster model can make attacks with ranged weapons even when its unit is within engagement range of enemy units. And to clarify, engagement range is one inch. And there's been a little bit of confusion about that because, you know, is this changing? Because Age of Sigmar has like a three-inch bubble of engagement range, but no, 40k is staying at one inch, and this article does confirm that. 
It can fire its ranged weapons even when its unit is within engagement range of enemy units, but it can only make such attacks against enemy units that it is within engagement range of. In such circumstances, vehicle and monster models can target an enemy unit even if other friendly units are within engagement range of the same enemy unit. Note that if a vehicle or monster unit has more than one ranged weapon, you can still choose to target units that are not within engagement range of the firing model's unit, but they will only be able to make the attacks with the weapon if all enemy units within engagement range of the firing model's unit have been destroyed when you come to resolve those attacks. In addition, when a vehicle or monster model shoots a heavy weapon, subtract one from the hit rolls when resolving that weapon's attacks while any enemy models are within engagement range of that model's unit. So, quick breakdown... You can fire at models you're engaged with. You can fire at models you're not engaged with, but you have to kill all the engaged ones first, so you have to, like, order your shots properly. And if it's a heavy weapon, you subtract one to hit. So tanks have guns considered as pistols. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, basically. I'm okay with that. (laughs) No, this works. It, It also makes, you know, assaulting a vehicle just to tie it up a bit a little bit riskier. Like one I've seen, uh, they, one they mentioned on when they got, did the faction focus on Death Guard was Plague Burst Crawlers with, uh, the Plague Spitters, like the Flamers. Now, like, yeah, you can go attack one and they'll, they'll just keep flaming you while you're attacked, <laughs> you know, while you're engaged with it. Well, and I feel like that's kind of a good balance because, and we'll get to it a little, little bit later, but with, with the changes to Overwatch, it's not as threatening to initially charge a vehicle. But if the vehicle can still shoot you every time that, you know, during the, during a shooting phase, that kind of makes up for those changes. So I, I like it. I think it's one of these, it's one of these rules that you look at it and go, that seems overpowered. But then when you look at the other changes, go, okay, no, I think they're balancing it out better. Yeah. And the fact that also it affects mon, or this rule applies to monsters as well. So, uh, attacking Tyranids or attacking Tau, like the larger Tau battle suits. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's like if there's if you don't manage to clear them out, they'll just keep thrashing and shooting at you the whole time. So it's I, I think it's a good change. It encourages you to dispatch things quickly. Yes, yes, absolutely. And they said, but there's more. Check out the new rules for firing heavy weapons on the move. Uh, for heavy weapons, when an infantry model shoots a heavy weapon, subtract one from the hit rolls when resolving that weapon's attacks. If the firing model's unit has made a has moved for any reason this turn. Example, it made a normal move this turn. So only infantry subtract one from their hit rolls. So vehicles, monsters, bikes, any non-infantry units do not suffer the heavy weapon penalty. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how they kind of balance that out. Because I think, as you mentioned, like power of the machine spirit is going to have to work completely different in this edition, provide a different benefit. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know. There's there's a lot of options there. So we'll, we'll see as they continue with the leagues. But... Uh, I like it. I think that that makes tanks, it'll make tanks and vehicles and monsters feel like they should feel and feel different than infantry. Mm-hmm. And I think also like even things like bikes or um, so if, like, well, most of the Eldar bikes, their guns are still assault, aren't they? All but one. Is it the scatter laser that's a heavy? Yeah, the scatter laser is a heavy. Well, if the, now the scatter laser, you'll be able to fire it without penalty on the move. Yep. So that the question is, how will that play? What will they do for Sam Hain? Because that was their one ability, right? One of their abilities. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's it, it'll be interesting to see how that how that does change. And I imagine what we're going to see at launch is a fair amount of errata to address the things that have changed and have rendered certain rules obsolete. Because mm-hmm. while the 
uh, while the Psychic Awakening books have been developed with ninth edition in mind, the codexes that predate them have not. So, yeah, obviously there will have to be some changes there. And some of that may be in the uh, – they they've mentioned that like some of these things will be in the uh, appendix in the ma- in the new core book so we'll see if that if maybe they have some of that there for like these across the board changes like power of the machine spirit for example and that takes us to june 10th which was having a blast talking about blast weapons and how they work uh, so blast weapons some weapons have blast list in their profiles abilities these are referred to as blast weapons in addition to the normal rules the following rules apply to blast weapons. One, if a blast weapon targets a unit that is between six and ten models, it always makes a minimum of three attacks. So if, when determining how many attacks are made with that weapon, the dice roll rolled results in less than three attacks being made, make three attacks instead. For example, if a grenade D6 weapon with a blast rule targets a unit that has six or more models and you roll a two to determine how many attacks are made, that rule is counted as being three and the weapon makes three attacks against that unit. If it, two, when a blast weapon targets a unit that has 11 or more models, do not roll dice to randomly determine how many attacks are made. Instead, make the maximum possible number of attacks. For example, if a grenade D6 weapon with a blast rule targets a unit that has 11 or more models, that weapon makes six attacks against that unit. So, yes, like, units of five or less will definitely have a bit of an advantage, but they'll also be small enough that they'll risk taking that many attacks anyway. Right. The, the only thing that Sticks out in the back of my mind, which is just probably ignorance. Are there any blast weapons that do multiple D6? Uh, rapid fire yes. battle cannons do two D6. Okay. Um, yeah. So there will be there will be some that will be able to do a bunch of attacks. So uh, they say there's 174 blast weapons and relics listed in the back of the new core book. Well, well my question there is: if it does two D6, does that mean on each die? Yes, you do not roll. You do not roll the dice yeah. at at all and for each now for the the six to ten unit yeah if you rolled snake eyes you would do three but if you rolled five you would you would like it it would it wouldn't have as big an effect but if they if they hit 11 models or more you just max out the number of attacks but i'm more saying if you're firing the big weapon at a smaller unit it only really matters if you roll snake eyes then because if the dice rolled is less than three Right, because it's not based. Yeah. It's not that if the individual dice comes up three or less, it's if the results of the dice would rec- would end up with less than three attacks made. Yes, that's where my question was. Yes, yeah. Uh, my my only concern with this is like by putting in, and I know why they did it because you have the hard limits of like five, ten, you know, etc. You're just you're going to see MSUV units. You're n- you're never going to see units of anything over over eleven anymore um, because. It's too, you know, the way that it's set up, there's, it's too risky. So, I mean, unless there's some, unless there's some really good benefit, like change to the way that like morale works or something like that, you know, for having a larger unit, I, I, I will see that everybody will min max their units and basically say, okay, here's 10 and that's it. Uh, I think orcs might because of their, how their morale works based on number of models. Yeah. So I don't know. I just. I guess it's not too big a change than what we're normally at right now. Cause you don't see a lot of big horde units, but I don't know. I, I dislike the fact that they're kind of actively punishing you. If you try to take big units, it's going to also depend on like how armies are built and what, how many blast weapons they have available. Sure. Some armies yeah. like guard, for example, will have tons of blast weapons. Uh, but like Tau only have like, I'd say one or two and like, like the sub munitions on rail guns are like one of the few things. 
that I yeah. could think of that they would count as blast. Uh, but like five examples they list are the barbed strangler for Tyranids, death strike missiles for guard. Uh, the D cannon is now a blast weapon. Uh, squig launches for orcs and the phlegm bombardment from the plague burst crawler. Interesting. And they say, despite their cool new rules, blast weapons don't get all their own way. There is one drawback that makes your choice of vehicle turrets, sponsons, or monstrous munitions all the more important. As we mentioned yesterday, vehicles and monsters can shoot their weapons at enemy units within one in, within engagement range of them. However, they cannot do so with blast weapons. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> that makes sense. I remember back in the day where you didn't fire your blast weapons at anything close for feel that would scatter back onto you, which I saw happen to some people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the actual rule reads, blast weapons can never be used to make attacks against a unit that is with engagement range of the firing model's unit, even if the weapon has a pistol type or if is firing or if the firing model is a vehicle or a monster. Firing high explosives at point-blank range is simply unwise. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, unless they added a caveat saying, yes, you could do that, but you take, like, D3 plus 3 mortal wounds. I think in that case, it's just better just to not let, not let you do it. Yeah. Heroic sacrifices? Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So next up, terrain rules and line of sight. So this is some big changes here. So all terrain now fits into one of four categories, hill, obstacles, area terrain, and buildings. How units interact with them depends not just on the nature of the terrain itself, but on the unit's own size and what type of unit they are. For example, hills are essentially part of the battlefield, so are treated as open ground and offer no form of protection other than you know blocking visibility. Obstacles, on the other hand, are a foot slogger's best friend as they offer the benefit of cover, which for the most part means plus one to your saving throws against ranged weapons to infantry, beast, or swarm units if the obstacle is in the way of the firing unit. Uh, when setting up a battlefield, you and your opponents decide which terrain traits will be applied to any piece, or applied to each piece of scenery. The traits are designed to be stackable, so a single terrain piece can be given as many different traits as you wish. For example, you may decide to count a bunker as both light cover and heavy cover. So light cover, that trait is when an attack made with a ranged weapon wounds a model that is receiving the benefits of cover from this train, add one to the saving throw made against that attack, invulnerable saves are not affected. Heavy cover, when an attack made with a melee weapon wounds a model that is receiving the benefits of cover from this train feature, add one to the saving throw against that attack, unless the model making the attack made a charge move this turn, invulnerable saves are not affected. So there is now train that can offer protect basically offer cover from melee wounds i like that that's interesting uh you can pick traits that will have more specific effects on the game clarifying details as to whether or not the train is scalable breachable or even unstable one of the real game changers is the obscuring trait not only does it offer an area of the battlefield that blocks line of sight but the largest models can still be targeted. After all, an Imperial Knight towers over all but the largest buildings, making its bulky carapace an easy target, yet it would be all but impossible for its guns to match the same firing angles in return. So, obscuring. If this tar terrain feature is at least 5 inches in height, then models cannot see through or over this terrain feature. This means that one model is not visible to another if you cannot draw a straight line a millimeter in thickness between them without it passing through or or over any part of this train feature. The height of a train feature is measured from the highest point on that train feature. Models that are normally on or within this train feature can be seen and targeted normally. Aircraft models and models with wounds characteristic of 18 or more are visible and can be targeted even if this train feature is in between it and the firing model. Note the reverse is not true. Man, this is going to make it harder for knights because they just normally could sit around. Now they're going to have to use mobility to actually find those firing lanes to get 
around the five feet or tall buildings. Right. And the fact that they can still be seen means, because that was one of the biggest things is with the prevalent of night armies everywhere. That's why train had to get higher. So it could start trying to give knights cover or people cover from knights. So this kind of, I'll say balances out because knights guns and firepower and melee power are just much stronger than any of the infantry that is going to be on the ground to try and fight them. Yeah. But also now that basically the old, the old ITC, well, we we're blocking the first level of windows so you can't shoot through them. I think that's going to be gone because now it's like, okay, if you're in the building, you can be shot at the, like the rules are very specific. If you are in the building, you can be shot at, although you'll receive cover but if a unit is behind the piece, which, again, it's going to be important for, for ruins to have bases because basically a ruin is going to be considered area train with the obscuring trait if it's tall enough. You will not be able to shoot across the ruin unless it's a aircraft or a uh, has a rate or, or ha- has a wounds characteristic of 18. And it's interesting they use the number of wounds rather than a height. There's been a couple of weird interactions that have been pointed out like. You can tar- you can't target a Riptide because it has fourteen wounds, but you, you can target the Triumph of Saint Catherine because it does have eighteen wounds, even though it's technically shorter. Hmm. It's probably making more like holy noises and whatnot. So yeah, can- so it's like there there's going to be a few weird interaction cases, but for the most part, it's fine. And you have to remember, this is a game; things are going to be a little bit abstract. And so to make life easy, the Warhammer 40k core book includes some handy guidelines for which terrain traits to apply to the most common pieces of terrain. For example, ruins, terrain category, area terrain, terrain traits, scalable, breachable. So we don't, we don't know what those do yet. Light cover, defensible, and obscuring. And defensible, I think we get into when we get to Overwatch. Yes. Armored containers, on the other hand, would be obstacles with light cover, scalable, and exposed position. So there's a list, a whole list of traits we don't have. But again, having these codified and just being like mix and match, apply the ones you feel fit the terrain, and here's some common ones, common terrain pieces and what traits they use. This is great. It gets rid of a lot of those weird interactions and is this this? Is it that? Just just makes it so much easier. And like if you're doing a like a narrative, your own narrative mission, and you want to do like special terrain, you can just say, okay, this piece of terrain right here will have these traits. And so we'll know exactly like what the rules are for this piece. And they said, at the end of the terrain section, there are a number of example battlefields presented, each explaining the thought processes behind the terrain selection and their positioning. This is really useful advice as getting the quantity and density of terrain right is a key factor in playing a balanced game of Warhammer 40k. After all, too little terrain and shooting armies will have a massive advantage, too much, and melee armies will likely dominate. It's a balancing act. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so they give two examples. One has a little less terrain than the other, but but they kind of give examples of like, this one has, has a bit more, um, it doesn't give advantage to one side or the other. It's good for match play. Yeah. It's, I think having these kind of guidelines and having physical like photo guides of like, this is how much terrain we really think you should have. If you want a really good balanced game, that is great. That is so good to have. Yeah. It's something that's desperately needed. And they also do specify, that the the board size of 44 by by 60 is a minimum for 2000 point games so yes you can still use your 6 by 4 gaming tables it says minimum could i use like 
two of those six by fours and make it an eight by 12. Yeah, they even yeah. say you can use your six by six foot by four foot or larger gaming tables. So you can make a really big game. So one th- one thing that I've realized, like going back through the Psychic Awakening books, in in light of having these uh, some of these new rules, is like you can identify the things that they try to future proof. So looking at the missions in all the Psychic Awakening books, which we don't usually look at, like we don't usually talk about. Almost all of them measure from the center of the board, going all the way back, which I thought was interesting. It's like, oh, they're now, set up a six by, by four tables, but they're they're like, oh, it's 12 inches from the center is your deployment zone, or it's from the center and it's this way. I just thought that was kind of neat that they'd been thinking about this and planning it for a while. Yeah, and like even the, the ones here... Now, there's like one mission in War of the Spider that's a, wouldn't quite work that way, but... The other two, it's like you measure deployment zones from the center of the board, and then there's like one where like you measure objectives from the defender's battle edge, but it would still work regardless mm-hmm. of what. Like it's not that piece is a little bit independent of the others, so it's fine. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting that that most of the most of the missions that I've seen that they've set up in the in the Psychic Awakening books will work for various table sizes. Mm-hmm. All right, and then that takes us into June 12th, which was flyers. So aircraft and strategic reserves. When an aircraft model arrives from strategic reserves, you can choose to set it up anywhere on the battlefield that is more than nine inches from any enemy models facing any direction instead of setting it up wholly within six inches of a particular battlefield edge. So that gives us a peek at strategic reserves. Aircraft models can never declare a charge in the turn they arrive from strategic reserves, but otherwise follow all the normal rules for strategic reserves. And they do add a footnote. We'll be bringing you more information on how strategic reserves work soon. So watch this space. So we don't have all those in all those rules yet, but they're coming. Uh, and then another key feature of the new rules for flyers is how they interact with units on the ground. Uh, models can move, o- can move within an enemy aircraft's engagement range. Models can move over aircraft in their bases when they make any kind of move. Aircraft can make a normal move or an advance even when within engagement range of enemy models. Units can make a normal move or an advance if they are only with engagement range of enemy aircraft. Uh, when a model performs heroic intervention, piles in or consolidates, ignore aircraft unless the model moving can fly. And they said this is actually a preview of how each rules topic is conveniently summarized at the end of the section for easy reference. So basically, that's not the in-depth rules. That is the summary of the rules. They'll cover those in more detail in the book. I'm not sure about these rules yet. They were kind of putting that in as errata in like the most recent big FAQ. So we're already kind of there. Not not the the move over rain base. The the whole how flyers are going to interact on the battlefield. Because I I like the fact they can leave the board and then be placed in strategic reserve. So next turn they can just appear. But that only really comes into play if you have nothing to shoot and if there's no. I mean, if if flyers still have three hundred and sixty degree view, where they can just fire anything. Um, it's more beneficial to keep them on the board and with their high movements, they should be able to move around obscuring terrain to find a target. So I'm, I'm really not sure how this will play out because it still seems like it'd be better and more beneficial. Just keep your flyer on the board so it can still shoot more rather than pulling it off the board for a turn to 
to be fair, you say that as a player who can who has very maneuverable flyers. True. Whereas other people, you know, like you may want to line up that shot so somebody's not obscured from you, but doing so will take you off the board. This makes that not a problem. Okay, I guess that's fair. And then I guess the other flyers I have all can just drop into hover mode, so Right. And and flyers will still be able to have hover mode, I'm assuming. But uh we'll we'll have to see if that if they change like change those rules at all. It might be where a flyer can lose the aircraft trait while it's in hover mode, and if it's engaged while in hover mode, it can't gain the aircraft trait again until it is unengaged. Yep. And they do give a list of all the, the units that will gain the aircraft keyword. Storm Raven, so, Storm Talon. Yeah, Storm Fang, Storm Raven, Storm Talon, Storm Hawk, Storm Wolf, Valkyries, Void Raven. Yeah, yeah I assumed the, the, all the Eldar and Dark Eldar. Yeah. Yeah. Crimson Hunter, Crimson Hunter, Exarch, Daka Jet, Doom Scythe, Night Scythe, Nephilim Jet Fighter, Corvus Black Star, both the Tau Flyers for what it's worth. <laughs> Tau has flyers? Yeah, supposedly. All right, so, and then we get to what dropped uh, last weekend, which was the details on what's in the new box. The Indomitus box is its official name. And it is not a starter box. They were very clear on that. This is a launch box. Yeah, that raises some concerns for me, but we'll get to those in a minute. <laughs> yeah. So, for example, they mentioned that this box does not include any dice or measuring tools. It does have the core book in it. It does have a book with the unit data sheets for the two armies that are included. And it includes a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see. We've got a Primaris captain with... a. Storm Shield and Power Sword, who looks pretty baller. And his his helmet, he's actually got multiple heads that you can put on him. And one of them has the visor on his helmet swung up, which is yeah, actually a pretty, cool, pretty cool, cool look. Yeah. A new Primaris Lieutenant with the Neovolkite Blaster. A new Primaris Chaplain who looks awesome. He reminds me of like uh, Cassius from the Death Watch and the yeah. Marines. Yeah, I like I like his design a lot more than the other chaplain. But mm-hmm. yeah, he looks he looks very baller. The Judiciar, who is just an a cool look, he's the guy with the big squared off blade. A unit of three blade guard veterans, which are your close combat elites with storm shields and power swords. A blade guard ancient, who has you know basically is a banner carrier. A unit of eradicators. We now have Gravis armor, Primaris Meltagun troops. Which is an interesting addition. So primaries get their own fire dragons. Like it. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I have again. on Eldar forms and stuff. The Eldar kind of complaining that all the nifty tools and tricks that made them special are now in the Imperium's hands. And what is our Eldar going to be in this edition? That just means the I Imperium's mean, been pl- paying attention. Well, and they shouldn't have helped them out. Like it's the Eldar's fault that they helped you know Gilliman in the first place. Yeah, because I mean, like you said, these are like fire dragons. The the Mechanicus got the swooping hawks. I mean, yeah. At least the unit's name doesn't begin with IN. Oh my! Very happy for that. (sighs) Well, yeah, we were talking about that in the chat. Yeah, there was (laughs) in flamers and melters in melters. Yeah, that's right. I wonder (laughs) if that started as an inside joke and just oh, Dennis. Uh, Oh, uh, you're probably not wrong, but still, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> and they're armed with long range melter rifles. So yeah. I'm wondering if they have multi melter range, like 24 inch or maybe 18 inch, which would put them on par with like Tau Melta. Yeah, I would hope so. I, I hope it's not long range. Like <laughs> super long range would suck. <laughs> yeah. Then a 10 man assault intercessor squad, a unit of three outrider bikes. And that's, that is the Space Marine side. And then the Necron side, you get a new Overlord model with a huge, like, hi, uh, hyperphase glave, which is a new weapon. City, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, Royal Warden, which is like a, like a, a, almost like a Royal Guard Immortal. And then a Plasmancer, which is like a new variety of Cryptek. And he's the really tall, skinny, floaty one that we saw in pictures. Crypto thralls, which are kind of the barrel-shaped uh, units we saw, and they've they are basically bodyguards for the cryptek. The Scorpec Lord, which is the big multi-legged thing we saw at the end of the video, and it is basically a form of destroyer cult unit. And then the unit of three Scorpec destroyers, which is the a three-legged one that the sister of battle fought in that video, and they've got multiple weapon options. A plasma site, which is something that just follows Scorpec destroyers around, apparently, and makes their weapons deadlier. <laughs> the Canoptic Reanimator, which is the tall walker that we saw, and basically helps bring more units back to life for the Necrons, improves their reanimation protocol roles. Unit of six uh, Canoptic Scarab Swarms. And then there are 20 Necron Warriors in the box as well. 20? Wow. 20. Yeah. It is, And then a exclusive alternate cover core book included. As well as a full uh, sheet of um, decals that covers like all the major Space Marine chapters. So if you want this box to be Ultramarines, they've got that. Blood Angels, got it. Space Wolves. Dark Angels got it covered. Yeah, the more I see this, the more I think it's kind of cool because the models look really sweet. And the yeah. fact I could put them on Space Wolves. I, I mean, I think it's a very good box. I think that I, I like all of the models. I don't think there's any in here that I'm like, I don't like the design of or I don't like the aesthetic. Like, I think they're all really cool. Well, my my problem with the that is the Necron half. I do think the Necron half looks really cool. Mm -hmm. I don't have, and I'm not planning to make a Necron army. So the only way this box would be interesting is finding someone to go have these. Yeah, uh, I think I think Richard and I are talking about possibly splitting one because I think he has Necrons. I I would definitely be interested in splitting one if you're interested, Dennis. But. Uh... I, I guess here's here's where my concern with this is because this is a very good set. There's a lot of models. It's 61 models. It's core book. It's uh, you know all of the um, the data sheets and all this stuff like that. They're calling this the you know the launch you know launch box and things like that. Uh, this box is gonna be three hundred dollars. Yeah, that's I'm calling my, it right now. It's gonna be, it's gonna be three hundred dollars. Is the price probably going to be way too? I mean, as I said, this is probably going to be fifty percent off of what yeah. they normally yeah. are individually. They, yeah, they've said it'll save you more. In fact, in the article, they say it saves you more than 50% off getting the content separately. But still, sure. I mean, the core book, if that's like 60 or 70 bucks, I mean, that's still going to be at least 30 and there's more than $150 worth of yeah. discounted models in and there. Yeah. The other thing about the core book is if you go half season on it, like say Kevin, you and I did, what do we do with the core book? 
you're in Arizona and I'm be here in case you're in Texas. So it's like, yeah, uh, well, here's the thing, depending on the price, I'll probably buy one of these for myself because I play both armies. Oh, then you'll be fine. So yeah, 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 exactly. But, but that's my concern though, is it sounds like this is going to be a very limited edition, like the sister's box kind of was. Yes. And it was originally in there that you can get later. Yeah. And, and, I, I've seen a lot of people compare this to the Grandmaster box set for um, uh, Adeptus, Adeptus Mechanicus, and that was two eighty. Or Titanicus, yeah. Or Titanicus, sorry, yeah. So that was two eighty five, and I I think that's going to be the ballpark that this is. I think this is going to be between two eighty five and three hundred. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I hope it's cheaper than that. But yeah, it's there's a lot in here. It's it's good, but it's going to be expensive. I mean, th- mm-hmm. this really feels like. Not for the starting out person, but for the person who, this is my army. I just really want mm-hmm. to expand into it and get some really cool new stuff. And, and they've said that that is the target audience is yeah. veteran hobbyists. This is not a box for, like, this is probably not a good box to get if you are a new player, unless you are just absolutely enthralled with what they, like, show you. Uh, like model wise, like if if you are have been thinking about playing Necrons, yeah, maybe this is a big uh, a good box to jump in with, but it's not going to ease you into the game in any sort of way. I also have an issue with them saying this is for veteran hobbyists. Your description, Rob, was great, but close to that line where they say veteran hobbyists, they say yes, all these are push fit models, and I'm like, I don't think veteran hobbyists want push fit. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, push fit models uh, to me are for the starting out people, the people who are just getting into the hobby, learning how things should go together. And veteran hobbyists would really, I think my, I'm speaking for all of them, so I shouldn't, but I'm going to prefer more dynamic poses, more options. So you can make the models look how you want them to look as opposed to a static. I mean, though these air quote static poses are very dynamic, right? Uh, but there's only one way to put together push fit. So the counterpoint I'll make to that, and I, and it's not, I agree with your points, and I and I think you're absolutely correct. The counterpoint I'll make to that though is that the Death Guard models are almost all like push fit, mono pose, very you know not very customable, customizable, and I, I haven't really heard too many people complain about it because the models are just so good. So I don't know, like. I would expect a release, like especially for like warriors and the and the intercessors, they'll release full kits later. You know yeah, that, that are multi pose and stuff. But I don't know that that's going to be as big a deal because like the all, everything that came in the sisters box was push fit finger quotes as well. Maybe that's and the direction they're going. Yeah, I I don't. There's no. I have no complaints about any of the models. So I, I don't know. I I don't know. Yeah. Again, Kevin, you could be right. That could just be a direction GW is going, saying people are more interested in in painting the models than they are kit bashing. Because yeah. I think kit bashing has become, if it's not already, a lost art. Um, I mean, I love kit bashing and I love doing it. So I, I agree with you that I'm like, I kind of would like, I would rather them have the full models and the full options and all this, those things. But at the same time, it's like, I, I don't look at any of these models and go, I would want to convert that. Like I look at that, like Scorpec Lord and I'm like, yeah, there's cool things you could do to customize them. But honestly, if you don't, he still looks awesome. So I, I think that's part of it is, is part one. The models look a ton better now than they did 10 years ago. Oh yes. 
or five years ago. With that is there are models for every data sheet. There weren't in the past. So you, some model or some units you had to get mm-hmm. back to actually field them. So, and now that they've pretty much gone and taken that away with, you know, moving those units to legends. Correct. So this, also, this is probably the direction that GW is going in. Also, I think GW, if we hold them to that, that standard of, well, we want, we don't want push fit models, but we want cool dynamic models. They're kind of st- stuck because on the one hand, you know, the older models that they used to make were really like Marines were one of the few examples where you could really do a lot of positioning. But even then, like there were like, here's five choices for gun arms and you're going to uh-huh. get the same gun arms over and over again in your army. And here's, and the legs, here's like five legs and they're all pretty much the same pose. And so it's like, you either had a lot, you, you could kit bash, but you had a lot of the samey parts and poses to work with. See, and I, I guess the, once again, that's where I got spoiled, especially with dark Eldar. Cause dark Eldar, all the different box sets you could interchange their heads, their arms, their the legs. Dark Eldar line is exquisitely well designed. Yes, yeah. But I think as people have, as they've started getting into, you know, they've got the imp- improved plastic technology and improved design technology that lets them make these really dynamic, cool-looking models. The problem with a dynamic pose is you your parts are like especially with your you know, the way they have to cut them up in cad may not lend themselves well to a lot of customization unless you are an advanced hobbyist somebody who's really good at cutting and rejoining like things yeah. that, like elbows and stuff like that and, and to be fair if i was a cad designer who was designing these models and i think they look really cool i would hope that people would use the way i designed them because mm-hmm. that's kind of like hey they liked what i did yeah. and i think And I think it's also an opportunity to allow people who don't have those hobby chops to have a cool-looking dynamic army. No, I'm fine. I just this is me, I guess, coming to grips of the the how the terminology is, and maybe that I'm too old to that when push fit is in my mind (laughs) as a veteran. (laughs) I I think also consider this as launch edition. The thing about push fit on this, I'm gonna I'll throw out there is that. One of the benefits of PushFit is that you can get the models together very quickly. Oh, yes. And if you are in a hurry to play with this stuff, instead of having to spend a lot of time carefully cutting out each piece and matching them up and gluing them together, cutting down the assembly time so you can play with them, even if they're not painted yet, for a launch edition, that, that's, that's a valuable no, that, change. That's a, that's a fair thing. Although, as we've all noted here, that this is a launch edition. This isn't a starter set. No, and it is going to be a limited release window. This is not like Dark Vengeance or Dark Imperium where you'll be able to get it for months and months. Right, I'm still so, curious as to what that starter set will be. Or or if they'll even... I mean, they may say the starter set, now that we've codified rules and missions for smaller armies, you start collecting boxes as a starter set. Buy that, buy the rule book, you're good to go. Yeah, because they kind of did that in, uh, in the last edition because after they released Dark Imperium, they then released... Uh, no, no fear and uh, like first strike. Whatever, first strike with those like smaller like here's some of the push fit models. Here's how you can get started. That seems like a better entry point for some of those like brand new come into the game. See if you want to play it. Buy that box. It's forty bucks. It gives you enough to play and at least get a feel for it. And then you could 
buy your your faction specific start collecting box, kind of expand from there. So I think they've they've done a they've done a decent job of replacing the starter box with a a path that's easier to get to for everybody that wants to get into the hobby, get into this different factions. I could see that. And the thing I like about that is a starter box is two factions Mm -hmm. and there's a lot more than two factions in the game. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to move from there into a little bit that was also released that day. What's beyond what's in the box. So what things are coming. Um, And so there were uh, four units that were revealed mixed reaction i'm going to say online <laughs> <laughs> so first off the, the invader atv awesome. also affectionately or maybe not so affectionately called the mario kart <laughs> <laughs> it does look like one doesn't yeah. it yeah it really does oh it's God. a mario kart double dashed kart <laughs> So, so, Rob, when you, when you get a Blood Angels version of this, you'll have it red and you'll put a little Mario hat on one of the guys? No, 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 but... <laughs> if someone had Dark Angels one, they could put the Luigi hat on one of them? <sighs> yes. Oh, no. I want to see... Or Actually, the Orc kit-bashed versions of these would have those. Oh, I mean, uh, so you awesome. do it for... I want to see that. You do it for Death Watch, and then you just paint one of the shoulder pads Dark Angels and one of them you know, one of them blood angels and boom, you're good. Right. And orcs could put the big um, Bowser shell on one of the back of the orcs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, it's, it's uh, oddly designed. I'll give it that the turret being like right above the driver's head. It's, See, it's, an, odd, yeah. fine. it's an odd to join. <laughs> it's an odd design choice. I, I get what they're trying to do. It's, it's a Primaris assault bike. Yeah. It's fine. I don't think it looks good, but it's fine. Whatever. It looks fine. It looks derpy, but it's fine. Like, it's not the dumbest model in 40K by a long shot. So, and you still have your dirt chariot for that, right? Oh, God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, then we get the Fire Strike Servo Turret, which means we finally get a Primaris Tech Marine manning it. And uh, it's basically looks like a pair of auto cannons. I think that looks cool. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the the Eldar um, platforms that have the two Eldar manning it. Well, so what I love about this is because people online are going to complain regardless. What I love about that is people are complaining because when they look at it, it looks like the guns are pointing down. And I'm like, it's just the angle of the picture and how they modeled it. Like, it's you get to angle the barrels up. It's it's, it's gun. It's going to shoot. Whatever. Some people's complaints about some of the looks of these things are dumb. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. Oh, and it says it will be able to mount either a twin accelerator autocannon, which is what's pictured, or a twin Laz Talon. Yeah. No, I, I think it's going to be good. And I I think we had talked about previously about, like, the Thunderfire cannon. You know, should that be relegated to Legends because it has an old model and it's pain in the ass. It's kind of overpowered and tough to balance. Maybe this is effectively the replacement for it. If that's the case, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I will mention because I don't think there are really any really new rules mentioned in this one, but the uh, the Space Marine faction focus featured the Thunderfire Cannon as a key unit and pointing the person who wrote the article, who is uh, Tony Kopak, you may have heard of him, mm-hmm. uh, mentioned that hey, now that you get a uh, command point every free for free every turn, you can fire th- tremor shells every single turn. I'm like, Yay. no, oh let's God. not. <laughs> let's so really not. Shells. Let, let's not just a, put that thing into Legends and be done with it. Yeah, that's not a positive. I don't like that. No. no. 
but uh okay but yeah it's it's nice to have an actual you know a primaris heavy wep- heavy weapon emplacement so cool mm-hmm. that's that's a nice addition and again it lead, leads to the idea that yes eventually while the rules may stick around traditional marines are are being phased out let's just be honest about it and then they show off uh, we saw this guy during the like in the potato camera version the locust heavy destroyer which the new plastic yeah. heavy destroyer looks awesome yeah, that thing just looks amazing. And then the Canoptic Doomstalker, which is the the big gun version of the reanimator they had, and it's yeah, it's got a big Doomsday Blaster strapped to the back of it, and a little pair, little pair of Goss flares up front. So yeah, just another walking piece of artillery. Yeah, but it looks I like cool. It. Again, I like the War of the Worlds style aesthetic we're getting from like war ancient Egyptian War of the Worlds aesthetic. <laughs> for Necrons. I, I dig it. No, it is cool looking. All right. And then we start moving into this past week, which uh, the big one here that hit uh, was the change to Overwatch. Now, Overwatch technically functions the same way in that a unit charges you, you fire Overwatch. Um, unless you have enemy, enemy units in engagement range, six is always hit. No, you ignore modifiers. There's no hit, no modifiers allowed. And you shoot at the charging unit. Any rule that states the unit can't be targeted unless it's the closest unit doesn't apply when uh, firing Overwatch. So, great. You know, Overwatch, technically functionally similar. But the big change is you don't automatically get to fire Overwatch. Overwatch isn't just a free thing that happens anymore. You have to have a rule that grants you the ability to fire Overwatch or spend a CP to be able to fire Overwatch if you don't have such a rule. Which also means, assuming... A lot of the articles mentioned, like, you can pick one unit to do it with, tells me that we're still going to have the once-per-phase restriction on stratagems. Mm -hmm. And so now, if I have to pick a unit to fire Overwatch with, and I can only do it once... um. That puts that moves the onus from the attacker having to figure out how to carefully layer attacks so that you exhaust somebody's Overwatch and then you can move in safely, to basically pressing multiple attacks across the board and having your opponent decide which one do you want to fire defensively. Yeah, it's it's a big change. Like this is going to be a big fundamental change to how the game's played, and I don't inherently think it's a bad a bad change. Um, I play Assault Armies, I play Tau, so like, I'm kind of on both ends of the Overwatch spectrum. I really want to see how this how this pairs with the other rules changes and how how specific codexes deal with this. Because, for example, as a Tau player, this is devastating. <laughs> you know, like this uh, just completely cha- removes a phase from your game. Like, the, this is... It's a huge change for them. For assault armies, it's a huge boon. So, what other what other faction specific rules? What other stratagems? What other abilities are going to be out there that are going to kind of give us the total picture of this change? And so, I'm trying to avoid overreacting to it one way or the other. Um, but this is going to be if they balance it correctly. This is going to be a big change that'll save a lot of time on the table. And we'll make the game a lot more streamlined. So I'm all for that. Yeah. And like they, they do mention that Tau will still be able to do the greater good and get like three or four units 
overwatching if they're within range of the one that's getting charged but mm-hmm. you'd still like you'd still have to spend the cp to overwatch to like trigger the initial overwatch so i mean they'll still have better economy from it but yeah they they won't have the across the board everybody firing overwatch although i would say i don't know if i would it's it's a it's definitely a nerf for tau i don't know if i'd say devastating because even with tau sept up and you know, get overwatching on fives, it doesn't like. There's a lot of times where it's not enough to prevent somebody from getting into your lines and chewing you up. So, and but one thing it definitely does do is it makes the tau sept no longer the auto take. Yes, and that's that's a good thing. Like you again, we shouldn't have one sub faction that is just so automatically better than everything else that it makes it. Uh, just makes it the the one you always take, and so encourage. Sometimes you do need to bring things down a bit to encourage other choices to be taken. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, now they do mention that ter- how terrain inter- uh, interacts within the. So we mentioned the defensible trait earlier. So defensible gives you the following abilities: infantry units in in a defensible piece of terrain such as a ruins, can hold steady or set to defend if no enemy unit is within engagement range. So if you hold steady, your overwatch attacks hit on fives rather than sixes. You don't automatically overwatch, but if you can overwatch, you are twice as likely to hit. Or you can set to defend. You can't fire overwatch, but you add one to hit rolls in the next fight phase. I like that change. Yeah, that's... It's interesting because it creates tactical decisions. Mm-hmm. So some units might might be willing to, for, you know, well, you're going to forget Overwatch a lot of times anyway. But, yeah, you might be able to, if you're getting, if you know you're going to get counter-assaulted, you know, get assaulted by, like, with the unit of Berserkers, yeah, you put them in defense. And then they're better when they fight. So, no, I, I like that. I think that's, I think that's a very interesting change. I, I think interesting as well. My only question, which hopefully we'll see in the future what happens to those units that already could overwatch in a five up? Um, they won't, they won't get any benefit from being in terrain. Yeah. So other than the armor save, right. I mean, yeah, so they'll still get the other benefits of cover and obscured and things like that, Mm -hmm. but yeah, they won't necessarily, there's no, there's no benefit. It doesn't improve their chances, but that also means they always get that benefit, whether they're in the terrain or not. So it's, I think it's a little bit of a wash. Um, they do mention that uh, Crusade has a battle trait your units can receive as part of a Crusade force. Um, it's cool-headed. You can reroll failed morale tests taken for this unit. In addition, if a unit declares this unit as the target of their charge, this unit can fire Overwatch and will score hits on fives instead of sixes when doing so. So, that like in Crusade, you might get the ability to always fire Overwatch for free. Um, be careful, though. A savvy opponent might be able to catch you off guard if you're in their deployment zone. The strategic reserves rule allows a unit to deploy on their own table edge, even if it's within engagement range of an enemy, and proceed to make attacks as though they charged. This is a situational rarity that probably won't come up very often, but a stunt like that completely bypasses Overwatch to surprise unwary or careless opponents. Okay, that's kind of cool and unexpected. Yeah. Another shot into the how strategic reserves will be. Mm-hmm. I just... I just keep thinking of that that player at a tournament who lines <laughs> null deployed, and then the other player just lined the table with the crew, or you know, the crew, and like, oh, fun game, all right. 
Well, and now with the strategic that, reserves rule, it's like, nope, my bikes just chew through your tower, <laughs> through your crew. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, so now you look at that and you're like, oh, well, that changes things a bit. <laughs> well, and I, I get that because you don't want to allow someone through careful placement to block your units from coming onto the board. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then we get a couple of faction focuses. Like I said, the Space Marines one made made me feel bad about Thunderfire Cannons in a way I hadn't felt even... It made me feel worse about Thunderfire Cannons, I should say. <laughs> um, the Necron one didn't really add a whole lot other than talking about, like, hey, how these, these rules and weapons, like, this is a blast weapon now, and hey, uh, here's what the new Goss Reaper, the short-range Goss Flayer, does, and it's more strength and better AP but less range. So, okay. Yeah, fine. Um, cast space Marine one, uh, talked about how, because vehicles are better, the demon forge, like demon, demon engines will be better choices. And no longer because of the changes in army construction, you don't necessarily have to take cultist tax to take the units you want to take. I like that. Um, corn berserkers being awesome. With As the always. new edition. Well, in the new edition, making assault armies far more viable, yeah, so they're gonna actually be, they're gonna actually be like as tough as they, you know, as as intimidating as they should be, which is good. Yeah, I'm not scared. You should be. You should be. And then we we get two more um, that mention that actually have new rules in them, and I think this is these are very important. So first off, we have the the Adeptus Sororitas focus. Um, let's see, so. For, they, they have a, a footnote for talking about how multi-charges are getting much riskier and harder to perform. Uh, w- although um, sisters have a better go of it because they can spend one of their miracle dice to be like, this is the number I roll for charging on one of my dice. Uh, the footnote says, in the new edition, your charge roll has to be sufficient to reach all of the units you have declared a charge against. Otherwise, your charge is unsuccessful and no models are moved. So no longer can you declare a charge against this unit that's within two inches, or that's like within three inches, and this unit that's within eight inches, and this one that's within 11 inches. And hey, if I roll an 11, I'll just run into all of them. But if I only roll like a four, well, at least I get this the, the closest one. You cannot do that anymore in this edition. <laughs> You have to hit it all or hit nothing. I'm fine with that change. I never, yeah, I never really liked the fact that you could, you could effectively like pick and, you know, declare charges against a bunch of different things, eat the overwatch, and then make sure that you could always get the smaller charge. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, It added a layer of complexity and extra time to the game because you had to think about like, okay, what's within range? What can I assault? What are, what are they going to overwatch? Then I have to roll, you know, declare it. Then they have to roll the overwatch. It's just, this simplifies it so much because you're not, you're not going to be making those multi charges unless you're desperate or unless you know you can make them. Yeah. And then we get to the change in targeting characters. And this is targeting characters has been such a messy aspect of eighth. And in some cases it just makes no sense whatsoever. And we had to deal with things like rhino sniping and things like that. So the new rules are as follows. And it is, again, once once again called the Lookout Sir rule. Models cannot target a unit that contains any character models with a wounds characteristic of nine or less with a ranged weapon 
while that unit is within three inches of any other friendly vehicle or monster unit, or while it is within three inches of any other friendly units that have three or more models, unless that character unit is both visible to the firing model and it is the closest enemy unit to the firing model. The Maelstrom of Battle makes it difficult to pick out such individuals. Ignore other enemy character models with a wounds characteristic of nine or less when determining if the target is the closest enemy unit to the firing model. So... You actually have to have your your character. You can't just have your character like smack out in the middle of nowhere. But there's a slightly lar- slightly closer unit that is like not even close to that character. If they're just out there and they're lonesome, guess what? You can shoot them. But if they're near a big enough group of people, or if they're near something that is big enough to be a distraction, then you can't target them. I like this change. Yeah, I. It makes sense because again, like. You know, they mentioned kind of the maelstrom of war type thing where it's like on the battlefield, if some dude is just walking, you know, un- unless it's like Star Wars and your chariot or whatever. But like, you know, unless it's just a dude like walking out there in the middle of the battlefield, you're going to shoot at him. It's, but if there's a guy walking there and then there's a unit next to him, it's harder to pick them out. So, yeah, I, I, I like this. It makes sense. I don't know that it's a drastic change because a lot of these characters are going to be within three inches of other models just for the aura and the bubbles. See, but I uh, That's what the change is to me. I saw a lot of it times where they would put out characters out in the open and have another squad far away, but technically closer when you measure. Sure. Yeah. I, I guess this thing is like, it'll, it makes you determine, I guess the trade off between maximizing your aura and your buff zones and not having your character be targetable. So, yeah, I guess that's fair. I, I, that it, it's You're going to have to be more strategic with your placing of the characters, but I don't think it'll be that... I, I think most players will be able to adjust to this pretty easily. Yeah. yeah, And it'll still make things like snipers valuable because, hey, like this character... Like, for example, take Sisters. How often do you see, like, the three exorcists with, like, uh, a canonist parked mm-hmm. next to them to provide the bubble of reroll ones. As long as she stays within three inches of one of them, she wouldn't be targetable, but Hey, that sniper can still pick her out. That's good. But you also can't have the canonists and Oh, look at five inches away. There's like one of a unit of battle sisters. So now that that unit gets the one off, but she can't be shot at because that unit is closer to you than she is. Mm-hmm. No, you can still, you don't even need a sniper to pick her out because there's nobody close enough to protect her. So yeah, no, it, it makes more sense. It streamlines this in a way that, well, I don't know, maybe it, it, it clarifies it. Maybe that's a better way and yeah. tightens it up a bit to make more strategic sense. Yeah. And then finally, we have the one that dropped today, which is Adeptus Mechanicus. And the important change here, and this one was written by uh, Andrew Gagno. You Again, you may have heard of him. Nope, never heard of him. Never heard of him? Never heard of him. <laughs> but uh, he specifically talks about... Okay, so um, there's cha- the change in board size presents a new challenge for armies that traditionally relied on making the most of distance between armies to allow their shooting to take its toll. The change in size isn't drastic, but it does tighten up the play space, forcing the action engagement to make the game a little bit more fast-paced and interesting. For some players, this may initially lead to a feeling of being overwhelmed by more assault-oriented forces a bit sooner than they would have liked. No more hiding in a corner, lobbing shots all game. However, the Adeptus Mechanicus has the tools at its disposal to overcome this. Uh, vehicles firing on enemies within engagement range, and a new core stratagem to allow a trapped unit to break free. 
So this new core stratagem, which again, every army is going to have access to, is called Desperate Breakout, 2 CP. Use this stratagem in your movement phase. Select one unit from your army that has not been selected to move this phase and which is in engagement range with at least one enemy unit. Roll a d6 for each model in that unit. For each result of one, one model in that unit of your choice is destroyed. So kind of like when a transport's destroyed. Assuming that unit was not destroyed, it can now attempt to fall back. And when it does so, its models can be moved across enemy models as if they were not there. Any model in that unit that ends its fallback move within engagement range of any enemy model is destroyed. Assuming the unit is not destroyed, it cannot do anything else this turn, i.e. it cannot attempt to manifest psychic powers, shoot, declare a charge, be selected to fight, etc., even if it has a rule that would allow it to do so after falling back. So the days of tri-pointing a unit with a couple of models, or like three models, is you still like you can still force them to make a bad decision but it is no longer a solid lockdown on a unit yeah because as long as they have cp to spend which on average most armies will have more than they used to they'll be and they'll be regenerating some at, you know one every turn they'll be able to break free but it'll cost them on the other hand if you just surround somebody with a couple of big blobs at works they're not getting away cuz they unless they can move really really fast right no i, I like I like the stratagem because it allows you to never really feel like you're in a trap situation. So I do like that, that it gives you at least an option, a, not a terribly great option, but at least gives you an option to be able to kind of break out. So I, uh, yeah, I like the change. Yeah. And, you know, they said there were going to be like like eight or nine core core stratagems. So we know Overwatch is one of them. Uh, we know uh, Desperate Breakout is one of them. And if I remember right, there was the one that could prevent like make it a bad option for units to fall back. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the three, you know, generic stratagems are also considered core stratagems. Yeah. They, like the, they would re-roll be. the morale and stuff like that. So that's, I mean, that's six of the eight at this point. So, yeah. And then I guess, you know, the, I imagine they'd have the one they added for the beta rule with, uh, like if you go second, you automatically have cover. Yeah. So there's probably one more, and probably, and it's probably tied to strategic reserves. Might would be my guess. That would make sense. Yeah. So we we'll wait to see see when they reveal more information about strategic reserves. But overall, I uh, you know I, again these are changes that I'm I'm all good with. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that that's everything that they've released about nine. You know, pretty much about ninth edition so far. So. What are your takes on on how you feel about these changes affecting the game? I mean, I want to make sure that I don't overreact to, to any of the changes because we haven't we don't have a full picture yet. Right. They are providing us snippets of information, um, and I've seen you know I, I, a lot of people online, a lot of people in forums that you know are making. You know uh, that are that are slightly overreacting to some of this, or like, oh, this destroys my army, or this, you know, this does this, this, and it's. I don't think GW set up to destroy anybody's army or change fundamentally change the way they play. I think they're just trying to rebalance the game. So there may be other places where they've they've taken something away but given it back in other ways. So like as we mentioned with the shooting, Overwatch is very very limited now. But all of those vehicles and monsters that can shoot over, you know, that could shoot Overwatch before, yeah, they can shoot as normal in the shooting phase. 
even when they're engaged. So that's a better trade-off. You know, if I'm taking the points and, you know, buying, uh, you know, one of the large Tau suits or a bunch of tanks, I'm much happier knowing that I can shoot at full effectiveness every turn and be like, yeah, I'll give up my Overwatch shooting on sixes to be able to shoot better every round. Absolutely, I'll take that trade. Yeah. So I think there's just... There's a lot of those things that haven't been revealed yet that are going to impact how things wind up playing. Uh, the big thing for me is it's, I've actually been a little bit surprised by the volume and the extent of the changes because they're not changing any of the quote unquote core mechanics of the game, but they are changing up a lot of kind of the secondary mechanics and how this game operates. It's going to be a vastly different game than it was in eighth edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that that's bad. It just means that there's going to be a, uh, a learning curve um, that I was not expecting because I was kind of expecting this to be more of a you know, 8.5. Yeah, more of a... It, it strikes me as a 6th to 7th move more than what I was kind of thinking because when we moved to 7th edition, out on the surface, it didn't change much because they didn't really change the core rules that much. They just added a new phase for like the psychic phase and changed a few other things. But once you started getting in and playing 7th, 7th played a lot different than six did. So I, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the holistic version of the changes are going to look like. What about you, Dennis? I I think like Kevin, I I, I like the fact that they're, they're showing us this kind of piecemeal to kind of, like you said, wet the appetite and keep it interest going. But I guess the downside of that is people are jumping to conclusions because there's so many questions unanswered that these these new little tidbits bring up Mm -hmm. Um, and we don't won't have the full picture until the set actually comes out so i'm more still on a wait and see i think the changes look cool but i need to see them all together rather than how we, we we just kind of are getting small bits and pieces and we have to kind of put the puzzle together ourselves um but that said, I, I think this will be a, a new change. I'm looking forward to trying it out. And also, like Kev said, I was thinking this was going to be like 8.5 type thing, where it's just kind of just, just a small shift to clean up. And we've even said that on the podcast. Yeah. But this, it, the more we see of it, it feels like it truly is going to be a new addition. Yeah, the, the wording of the rules is, is the same names, but what's underlying behind them is changing. Like we just, especially the thing we talked about, Overwatch. Yeah, mm-hmm. just so the rules will stay the same for like, hey, here's what it is. But oh, wow, well, we moved it here and now it does this. That's a big change. So it, it's. I'm unsure. I, I think it'll be good. I'm putting my trust in, in GW and their playtesters. Um, but I think before I make a full how I feel about it, I need to see the whole thing and not just the piecemeal parts. Agreed. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I think anybody trying to make a snap judgment at this point, even with as much information as we do have on this, oh, this is going to be great. Oh, this army is broken. Oh, well, this army is useless now. It's way premature. We also haven't seen uh, you know anything other than the barest hint of point changes. And we know there's going to be point changes across the board, which will change up what people take. Um and people will adjust play styles. It's like, for example, I think about my sisters. I take heavy flamers in every sister's unit because, hey, if somebody charges me, heavy flamer for free Overwatch is fantastic. Now, then maybe that's not the right choice. 
mm-hmm. because if I have to pay for Overwatch, then maybe I should take more, maybe I should take more heavy bolters and storm bolters and just get volume of shots. But, uh, yeah, so it, it's going, it's going to have to require more changes than I think people were expecting. And I think they're looking more at their existing armies and say, well, this army doesn't work anymore. It's like, well, yeah, it's not going to work the same way. You're going to have to retool your, how you play a little bit or a lot. Doesn't necessarily mean that faction is bad. You just have to rethink what's good and what's bad because what you were playing before was based on the issues with how that army was set up and and how it interacted with what eight, eight brought to the table. Nine is a new ballpark. So yeah, it's, it's going to change, but yeah, until we get the full rule book and kind of, kind of go over it and see how everything interacts and until we can see like the errata that gets applied to codexes to address things like power of the machine spirit. And how is that going to, interact with the fact that like heavy weapons aren't like like for example uh tau suits don't like the big suits because they're monsters won't need to really take target locks anymore because they can move and fire without penalty so it's going to change what war gear you take it's just it's there's going to be a lot of interactions like that that will go away so or will have to be rethought which is not bad all right, and we don't have any the other that the only new release is the uh, the Lumineth Hiles for Age of Sigmar. Their launch box is, has been put up for pre order this weekend, and it's going to be one hundred eighty five bucks. So yeah. and no no cow is included. Yeah, not, I, not a single yeah. cow in sight. If it wasn't for the fact that I know that the oh, oh no wait wait I take it back the special edition cover of the the battle tome has has a couple of cows on it. If it wasn't for the fact that I knew the 40k starter box is coming out very soon, and by very soon I mean probably within the next month or two, um, I would probably have picked this up. But I'm trying to save some pennies for for the hopefully not quite three hundred dollar box set that's going to be coming out soon. Yeah, I, like I already have, I like I love Hiles for Age of Sigmar, but I've got, I've got. Uh, Daughters of Cain that I'm working on. I yeah. don't need to, and especially for, you know, I haven't played Age of Sigmar yet, so it's like I don't need to add an additional army for a yeah. game that I have not played yet. But I mean, I will say this, the models that are included in this set look amazing. Like, yes. as an old school high elf player, like, they look awesome. So, I, it's it's one of those that if I were to play Sigmar, this is the That's army the- I would play. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm going to hold off on it because I, cause I know that I've got a, a 40k box that I got to buy. Yeah. All right. And that'll take us over to listener mail. As always, these are written by you, the listener, and we'll tell you how you can get your letters and feedback read on the air at the end of the segment. So our first one is written by Matt Hurd. Matt writes, Hello, preferred enemies. Greetings from north of the Cicatrix Maledictum. I hope you're surviving this darkest timeline we find ourselves in, and I'm sorry the Midwest Conquest wasn't able to happen. In addition to a list question, I just finished listening to your engine war coverage, and while it's tough to get too excited about new 8th edition rules, I think there's a lot to get excited about on the Admech side of the book. I know you didn't get into point values, but Cerberus Raiders are cheap. For 14 points, you get a fast unit that puts out two sniper shots per model while on the move and has a crazy strat that can be used to disrupt charges and gain ground, which I agree. That one is, that's an awesome unit for mm-hmm. picking out characters although with again with ninth edition how that will be less useful but still useful uh the only downside is paying 20 dollars us for each 14 point model yeah <laughs> yeah 
Sky Stalkers likewise combo well with the strat if you're playing Mars. Wrath of Mars, sixes to wound, cause a mortal wound, is already used to some effect on infiltrators, and these guys are comparably costed and are faster with better range on their guns, plus have the flyer bomb ability and return to deep strike. Okay, that is true. They're the ones that have, like, a ton of shots, but they're all, like, strength three. Mm. But it if you can just throw out enough of them volume, volume of shots and with the ability to... Uh, mortal wound on sixes. Okay, yeah, that that does help. That it's a little bit more costly, but again, more CP available. Maybe not an issue. Uh, Corpusari Electro Priests get a strat that makes their buckets of attacks AP minus two instead of AP zero, and there are a ton of synergies with Cataphrons in there too. All told, as an Admech player who has felt that Eighth Edition left the Codex a little flavorless, I'm really pleased by all the neat little tricks that are now available. Now for my list question, I may need to. I may need the help of your resident servant of the blood god. Before lockdown started, I had picked up a few boxes of Wrath and Rapture and started Corn Demon's Army. A lot of folks in my club, Hogtown 40k, have gotten into Age of Sigmar, so I figured that sticking with units could be used in both games would let me build a new 40k army that plays much different than what I've got, while allowing me to dip my toe into Age of Sigmar with no risk. Right now, my collection is looking like this. Two demon princes, one with wings... 35 Bloodletters, 16 fl- Flesh Hounds, 16 Blood Crushers, 3 Cannons, 6 Furies. Without the Furies, that makes a 1750-point battalion, with the Blood Crushers split into two squads of eight. With the new strats for Hounds and Crushers in Engine War, I'm feeling pretty good about my choices of models, but it still feels a little dull. I also haven't had a chance to test it out yet. I know I saw Kevin's Corn Army at LVO last year, but I can't remember if it was more Marine-based or Demon-based. Do you have any suggestions for adding anything? Is it worth branching into the other gods if I'm trying to make things cross-system compatible? With the understanding that Ninth will change a lot of things, any thoughts are welcome. Finally, I appreciate your support of GW's diversity statement. That's an awkward conversation to have, and I was impressed by how you handled it. Stay safe down there. Matt Hurd, Head Servitor Wrangler of the Sons of Sidonia. (laughs) So, I... To back up for one moment about his uh, comments on the Admech stuff, I completely agree that Engine War added a lot of flavor and a lot of like extra spice to that codex that I I think it had been lacking. And I'm really glad that they decided that they were able to fully flesh out that that faction more. So I, I, I do think that they did a really good job of kind of bringing that up to par with the options and, you know, the models and stuff that some of these other factions have. Uh, to his specific question, the one thing that jumps out to me before you think about adding any other gods or adding anything else, add a Bloodthirster. The new strats in the back for the Exalted Bloodthirster uh, in Engine War are amazing, and you absolutely want to have one. You you put a Bloodthirster in there, you give him the, uh, uh, I forget which one it was, it was the one we talked about last week, I think it's not option two. Um, and I have a book right there. I just don't the open it. Don't wound or no more than eight wounds. No more than eight phase. wounds lost per phase. He will get into melee. He will wreck shit. And yeah, but they're great models. Uh, they're awesome in Age of Sigmar as well. Like uh, that is my first thing I'd say. Like add a bloodthirster or two, but at least one, and make him an exalted one in forty k, and be able to uh, add in some of the extra stuff that you know the extra abilities to him. Um, I think that the new Blood Crusher and Flesh Hound strats, as I mentioned as well, make them amazing. Um, and I think they're going to be really useful, valuable uh, models. Blood Letters are really, really good if you can get them into Assault. The problem is they are tough three with the five-up interval, and they basically never make it in. 
uh, I have seen with blood letters, you either need to take like one or two small 10 man units to harass, or you need to take two big, like 20 or 30, you know, I think they go up to 30, um, two or three big 30 man blobs. Like there's kind of no in between. You either need to go big or you need to go MSU. Um, so Which I may would, change up with ninth edition because going it, big could yeah. be an issue depending on who you're going up against. That that may change. That absolutely may change. So uh, a couple of smaller units of blood letters may, may be a really good idea now that you could potentially use strategic reserves to bring them out off a board edge. You know, get them into assault range a little bit faster. If you decide that you want to branch out into another god, the one the obvious one to me that pairs really well with corn is Nurgle. Adding in Plague Bearers and Nurglings lets you fill out your troops a little bit more and gives you just tough as nails objective holders. So, you know, Plague Bearers are really hard to get off objectives. Um, you could potentially add in some of the things like the Plague Drones uh, that give you another unit that's able to kind of uh, move around the battlefield quickly. Nurgle Demon Princes are awesome. It's good to have some psychic ability in there anyway with like a herald or something. So you, you can kind of cover some of the things that you lack with corn. The the downside of a of a of a mono demon, a mono faction demon army is you're gonna be exposed and you only have limited options for every faction. So it's not gonna feel super great. But um, if you throw in some Nurgle some Nurgle stuff to kind of balance it out, I think you might find that you'll enjoy playing the army a lot more. I don't know what you're talking about, Kev. Mono faction is amazing. <sighs> I mean, they do I, have their holes. <laughs> I play mono faction corn and I get kicked in the head a lot. So like, Which, I, I mean, to be fair, corn doesn't care as long as somebody's dying. Right. Yeah. Like, but I get, but I get kicked in the teeth a lot when I play that army, like the LVO army, I went zero and four in the friendly event because I guess kicked in the teeth repeatedly. And that was, that specifically was a corn uh, was a world leaders army, so I, I didn't have any demons in that. But when I played uh, my KDK, obviously I had bloodthirsters, bloodletters, you know, blood crushers in there as well. Flesh hounds were huge in that army, so I've used them in the past. If you're just using one specific faction's demons, it can't. No matter what faction you're taking, it can feel very one note. So. Yeah, because they are, yeah. I mean, if you want to throw in Slanesh, if you want to go the Slanesh route, there's all sorts of those chariots and the fiends and stuff like that that are great. If you want to go... But Slanesh and Corn are the same. Yeah, it gives you a different flavor to the melee of, like, of a unit that can be fast and mobile. If you want to go with, um, with Zinch, then, you know, whores are great because it's a lot of... It's shooting, you know, effectively, finger quote, shooting that you don't have in the corn army. Um, it gives you a ton of psychic abilities to be able to deny and cast smites and things like that. So I think branching out to the other, other demon gods is, you know, is a definitely a viable stri- uh, strategy. I would personally go with Nurgle just because I like, I like Nurgle more than I like the other two gods, but I don't think you'd have any, really any problems if you decided to go with any of the three. Yeah, I mean, basically, just look at, you know, pick up a start collecting box of, because they have them for all four gods at this point. Mm-hmm. So, like, just pick which one. Like, for example, the Nurgle one is a Herald, a unit of Plague Drones, a unit of Plague Bears, and a unit of Nurglings. It's like, pff, there, yeah. there you go. I mean, that's, I mean that yeah, you add that right there, and you're going to add 
you're going to have the toughness that this army lacks, and you're going to have more troops to have more flexibility to design, you know, the the different battalions or the different uh, detachments that come in the new edition, and the way that they play in Sigmar as well, because troops and how they calculate that, it's all done a little bit differently in Sigmar. So that would be the one that I would recommend is going with the Nurgle box, but it's kind of flavor to taste. Yeah. And uh, as far as Age of Sigmar goes, I would try to, st- in that game, I would try to stick as mono god as possible, use like the Blades of Corn battle tome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but you do get an, ass- an allotment for allies. It's generally about like uh, 20% of your army can be of your points can be go to allies and so like in a 2000 point game you'd have 400 points to play around with and yeah you could pick nurgle like you could pick maggotkin and nurgle as your as your allies and then drop drop those in or you know 400 points worth into there so yeah this is definitely this would be workable in both games so yeah i yeah nurgle like if you go mono god definitely I would. I agree with you. Uh, a bloodthirster now would, is fan, is a fantastic choice. But yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Nurgle also thematically Nurgle kind of fits better. Like Zinch is a, just an odd choice to pair with a corn army. <laughs> yeah, but also, but you know, gameplay wise, it also makes sense because it gives you it covers all the holes you don't you you can't fill with what you've got. So, yeah, you know, six of what yeah, just flavor to taste, I suppose. Yeah. And then on that last note about yeah again uh, thank you for the the words about our uh, the support of the GW diversity statement it is uh it can be an awkward topic especially for people who have not had to deal with anything like that in their lives so uh but it's one of those things where we do have to take a stand about it it is very important absolutely and I'm, and I'm glad that you know companies are stepping up and uh, and is at least in the case of GW, uh, it does it, it matches their their actions up to this point as well, which is you know it's like someone there's a lot of, a lot of places that've been doing kind of the boilerplate you know we support Black Lives Matter statements you know in these trying times et cetera et cetera yeah but it's good to see a company like you brought up the last episode Dennis that has has done this with like their models and their characters and things like that they've been showing that they've been moving in this direction anyway so this just solidifies that. All right, and then we have a, a series of Twitter, not so much questions as commentary, because, uh, Kevin, you posted a question for people to answer. Yeah, so I decided to try to do something a little bit different with Twitter this week, because um, I remembered we had Twitter this week, um, <laughs> which is which is part of the problem. I need to get better about like being active on there. But um, yeah, with all the new leaks, uh, leaks, releases, and updates about 9th edition, I basically just posed the Twitter question, you know, what questions, comments do you have about 9th edition and the new 40K info we've seen so far? What excites you? What what makes you worried? What's, you know, how are you concerned? How are you kind of handling that? And we got a handful of responses. So I wanted to um, kind of call, highlight some of them here and just see what discussion topics they may lead to. I think we've covered a lot of it, but uh, I wanted to kind of give feedback on like what, what our listeners were thinking. So um, first one was uh, Leonix... 13th, uh, Linux 13. Uh, as a Tau player, I'm cautiously optimistic for new variations in play and lists. I'm actually considering crude hounds of outflank and assault like the old days. Um, and then also related to that kind of also on a Tau related question, uh, Dan Robertson, I'm super excited 
by what we've seen so far. All the models in the set look fantastic, but also the change to CP, terrain, Overwatch, etc. could add some interesting design options. With the Overwatch, <clears throat> with the Overwatch changes, could you see them adding extra rules to Tau to balance it out? So I kind of wanted to like lump those two together to have it to talk about it. It's possible because we have two hosts that are Tau players that we get a lot more Tau questions, but it does seem like there is a level of concern regarding like how Tau are going to play in the new in this new edition with the changes to Overwatch, with the changes to Train, with the fact that they have expressly said we're trying to make the game better for assault armies. Um, I don't know what's what's your opinions on those questions and concerns so far. Uh, I. Th- this is going to be very unpopular with Tau players, but I think as somebody who plays Tau as, as one of his many armies, I think we have to be willing to give a little bit. Yeah. You know, in a case where it when it when you have the balance shifted so obviously towards uh, shooting armies and away from assault armies, anything that's going to rebalance things towards the middle is going to require shooting armies being brought down a bit and that's just that, you know, we are going to to give up some of that ability. But as I mentioned earlier, I think we don't give up the ability of greater good. And if anything, we get better economy out of triggering Overwatch if we Mm -hmm. place our armies properly. But it does mean that, yeah, we're going to have to be more strategic about when we use it. You know, we're going to have to look at at the situation and, and figure out, like, do you build a castle and know that that's going to be the point where that that's the defensive point? That's the that's the point you defend. That's the one where the Overwatch is going to matter. Whereas maybe you you don't like if somebody charges your one Riptide, maybe you don't really bother with Overwatch there because he's far enough out. You know, you're unless it's absolutely crucial that that unit survive. But then also being a monster, I think that's one of the other things we don't take into account here. Is like again, our big suits are monsters they're going to be able to shrug off, uh, you know, firepower. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to be, or no, sorry, they're going to be able to continue to fire it when they're engaged. They don't necessarily have to fall back to keep firing at the thing that's attacked. Which also is going to be interesting to see how the, well, no, I guess, so every unit's going to be like the Tautnar now. Yeah. <laughs> Effectively. Because yeah. that's the, like the Tautnar's thing is that it can shoot at units within an inch of itself except with its macro guns which would probably be wow. break, which would probably be considered blast weapons yeah um, i would think so yeah yeah which i mean we obviously don't have hopefully we'll see a preview of some of the forge world updates that would be great now that especially now awesome. that the forge world store is open again but uh like if we look at the 8th edition codex i mean like broadsides are not infantry so yeah. they'll be able to move and fire heavy weapons without penalty, without having to take a, a target lock anymore. You know, same thing with like ghost ghost keels. Uh, well, how cri- I mean, crisis suits almost all they're almost all assault weapons anyway. Sure, but like you'll be able to move and fire uh, marker lights if anybody's equipped with those without having penalty. That's that's yeah, big. That's true. Yeah. Although it does, like somebody did br- bring up the fact that like Firesight Marksman, which people were taking without sniper drones necessarily because it was one of the best ways to just drop a, a high ballistic skill marker light onto the board, but they tend to be just out in the, on their lonesome, 
with the new uh, lookout sir rules, they're very easy to pick off unless yeah. you put them near somebody. And honestly, that's good because that's not what that unit was intended for, and it's not right. That was that was a rules exploit, not how the how the army was designed or how the unit was designed. Um, and I think that's a lot of it is people are going to have to figure out how to play armies the way they were they they should feel on the battletop rather than or on the tabletop rather than how we've kind of had to exploit them to take advantage of rules weirdness. Well, and and I actually really liked uh, Lanix's point on the first one here about like using crude. If they make changes to assault and outflank where that stuff's better, crude you know, crude are available to the Tau and you don't see them anywhere. But if you have the ability like if if the ability to be able to like outflank coming off the board, assault quickly is a, is you know better in this edition, that cuts for Tau players too, where now all of a sudden you can take these elements that in the past have been semi-decent decent-ish uh, melee elements, or at least counter-melee elements, might actually be good for those now. Um, yeah. So you might be able to you might be able to play a more balanced force. So I, I like it. I, I like the changes they're going. I like the direction they're making. But I do I do want to see how they balance it so they don't lose what makes Tau unique. Right. And I, I still think having better Overwatch than everyone else is mm-hmm. is still a thing. And they, yeah, they may have units that they give the over the ability to fire Overwatch to, or they may add, you know, something. It, but I don't know if yeah. they'll add a lot of extra rules. I think, as you said, it'll it's what it's going. These rules changes open up more things to happen. So this would be a great time to add the jetpack rule back in. I don't disagree with you. <laughs> so. All right. Um, so one of the other couple other comments we got, um, Reed Anderson. I've never been very, uh, very uh, narrative. <clears throat> Excuse me. Reed Anderson. I've never been very narrative. I'm more excited about the crusade system than anything else previewed so far. My only struggle is which faction do I start with? And then kind of the, you know, thinking about. Hmm, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't know that we mentioned much about the pre in the previous from the crusade system, but uh, you know, what do we think about that so far? What's, what's everyone's opinion? Like, is that going to be something that's going to be widely used? Is it going to be kind of like how open and narrative player done in eighth edition where they're not, it's not really a factor or I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm excited for it. And it's one thing I definitely want to try out. And one of the features I'm looking forward to the most about the new system, because I mean, when we got into the game way back when, and then even before I'll say we got back when Rob and I played it back in college, the games, I mean, yeah, there were dice there was rolling, but there was narrative to the games we played. I mean, it wasn't an ongoing narrative, but the games didn't feel as competitive as you. They felt more like the beer and pretzels. Hey, we're going to go out there, play some so a game. So this new narrative system that you can kind of do on your own, because I'm hoping that because that's how it's touted in my head now, um, that I can just set up my own narrative. And then just go from there telling my own story, at least to myself, and then if people want to hear it. Because you know how it is in, in role play, and so people don't care about your your character. Just just tell it yourself. Yes, tell me yes, tell me all the details about your character. While you talk, I'm gonna go this way. Exactly. <laughs> I and the big thing there is gonna be like if you go to a tournament, getting the other player to agree to use the crusade yeah. rules for that mission and allow you to get your your unit buffs that somebody else won't have with the exact same units 
Yeah, but what we'll have to see. Right. Yeah. And it, but I imagine they'll cover that more, you know, in the rule book and how that'll work. But and, and, you know, events will decide whether or not they're going to allow it, you know, that. But I love the idea of being able to have like any pickup game, you know, it's like, hey, can I do you mind if I if I play my crusade army? Oh, yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. And then and then just go from there. So, yeah, it's I, I know I do like the system and I do like the fact that you don't have to set up this big thing, like this big campaign thing with a whole bunch of players to take advantage of it, that it can just be the thing you're doing for your own army. That is I, I do love that. And I'm I'm mm. curious to see more about it. Yeah, I'm excited to see more about it too. Yeah. All right, and then uh, last uh, last couple comments we had. Uh, D.W. Hawthorne, the new lookout, sir, uh, will have a massive impact on how non-castle armies work. Armies like Harlequins just got a lot more difficult to play. And then uh, Thomas Wisenhunt, uh, wondering how the changes to Overwatch will affect close combat armies, world leaders, orcs. Also, the blurb in the Death Guard preview about players choosing which non-charge unit will fight first. How will that affect close combat? Ooh, I must have over that might have been one I overlooked. So let's see. Yeah, so I remember reading in uh, War of the Spider that there's a stratagem that allows them to do that, but I don't know if there's. I didn't see that in the uh, in the preview either. But uh, oh, okay. So if you it's the revolting stench ability. Stench, yeah. For so it is going to be a faction specific ability. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, Foul Blightspawn, the, the guy with the big plague spear, that's always been his thing. It's like you don't fight, you fight last. That's not yeah. a that's not a new rule. That it, they've always had that. Yeah. So that's good to know that it's that staying around. Because like again, as we mentioned with like the Tau, like wanting to keep the things that make them unique uh to the army, that's one of the things that makes Death Guard unique, is that they are super tough, but also have all of these buffs that are negative to the opponent rather than positive to themselves. Yeah, bubble Although, debuffs are great. Thankfully, in War of the Spider, they added a bunch of stratagems that actually bring them up to par so that, like, Lords of Contagion now help reroll ones and reroll wounds and things like that. But, uh, yeah, like, their their big thing is not necessarily, like, helping themselves. It's, it's hurting you. And I like that. That's kind of a neat, uh, it's a neat aesthetic. It's a neat design choice for that army. But overall, what do you guys think about, like, the... You know, we mentioned a little bit with the lookout sirs and some of the Overwatch changes, but how do you think that's going to impact, you know, Dean's assault armies, like specifically Harlequins, World Leaders, Orcs that are kind of mentioned with these with these changes? Well, from I guess an Eldar perspective, I can see why they're saying that Harlequins, because you you normally have really small troops to start with, mm-hmm. and also the the solitaire won't have any protection whatsoever. So odds are they'll probably get picked off because you can't provide like protection of I've got this other troop that's technically closer, but it's like two feet away. I don't know. Harlequins will be an interesting one. Um, yeah. But then as for the others, I think assault's going to be just fine. Banshees, I, th- I think will benefit from this. Yeah. Their masks now will only work one. People didn't get to fire overwatch anyway, but just being able to negate that, I, I guess yeah, I'm not threat, that many changes for how I would play. I just, less worry for the ones that don't have buffs or benefits. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at too. Like, obviously there's still updates and changes that are going to be announced and come out. You know, maybe Banshee masks are going to do something else now, now that overwatch is different. Maybe they'll negate overwatch, but also provide a buff or something. So originally they caused fear. Yeah. And we don't, we've, we've heard nothing about how the morale phase is going to work so far. So 
Maybe, and we know it know, is changing up. We so, know it's changing. Ways. So yeah, maybe there's going to be, maybe fear effects and things like that are going to come back and be more impactful. I don't know. I, I, I think it's, I think things are good changes. I want to see holistically what the sum total of the changes are going to be before I determine that like, Oh, this army's now great. This army's, you know, this melee army's bad, etc. But I, I like the effort to bring melee more into parity with shooting. One thing I think the mentions, you know, how our Overwatch affect orcs, and actually I think Overwatch affects orcs in a different way than you may think, because orcs didn't generally die to Overwatch. It was just suicide to charge a unit of boys because yep. every shot that hit would trigger daka daka daka. <laughs> yeah. And so now if you could charge two different units of boys, and maybe actually like one of them will get <laughs> to actually close in with enough people to do something. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think more like the Overwatch change is, is good. Overwatch generally is more powerful against like small units, like single characters charging into combat or stuff like that. Uh, so this will definitely like this doesn't hurt Smash Captains at all. Smash Captains, yeah, still love this rule. Although the Smash Captain will need to kind of hug near somebody to not get picked off before. Oh, you know, Overwatch. So, Lookout Sir, I think Lookout Sir is going to change those single character charges quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, and like you said, Dennis, like the solitaire, the solitaire is going to have to hug near somebody if they want to get across the board safely. So, you know, that's that's definitely going to change that up. I think terrain is going to be a much bigger change, and that is much more positive for yes. for uh, assault armies, both aggr- uh, offensively and defensively. The ability to like get into ruins and like hold your attacks waiting for somebody to charge in and like, Hey, you can actually like put your unit of corn berserkers holding an objective in a building. And if somebody charges you, you're hitting them on twos now. Yeah. That's, that's tasty. I like that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And so, Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's, again, it's one of those things. It'll change up how even melee armies play. It's going to be, you know, you're going to have to, your movement's going to be like how you move, like sticking and moving between terrain and the fact that they are encouraging you to have more terrain on the table to balance it for assault armies is great. And the fact that like you won't be able to just like pick off units like, look, I can see you through a window across the street. I can just shoot, you know, shoot you yeah. and you have no no protections like that's great. You know, and so I, I think it's definitely a boon for those armies and not having to deal with constant overwatch from everything is, is good for them. And making overwatch a tactical decision that you have to, you have to kind of weigh in your mind, but also not having it bogged down the game by having it always on. I think are, I think are honestly good choices for the game. Even if it does mean like as a towel player, I have to give up a little bit of my strength. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I am too. Well, so this is the first time that we've kind of done Twitter, the Twitter questions this way. I'm going to try to do this going forward. So if you follow us on Twitter, which we'll mention here in a moment, uh, how to do that, uh, I'll be posting more questions, kind of open-ended comments like that. Please jump in and reply. We'll take the best and we'll kind of round them up and we'll have a brief discussion like this during our, uh, our listener mail section going forward. Yeah. And if you want to have your letter read on the air or a list looked at, or if you have uh, Twitter feedback you want to give us, there's a number of ways you can do that. Uh, first is uh, you can email us. Our email addresses are ourfirstnames at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. 
Second is uh, Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferred enemies. You can like us there, follow us. We post news updates, things we're working on, um, you know, retweet new or, you know, repost news from uh, GW if anything major happens. And then third is, as Kevin mentioned, Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular. Uh, just because of the, the limit in number of characters we could use in our name. We're just too long for Twitter. So preferred enemy there. And, uh, we basically collect questions every week or every couple of weeks, throw them in the hopper and get through as many as we can. Hopper is now currently empty. But as Kevin has said, we're going to start asking questions every episode and, uh, collecting your feedback. So if you want to see what our question for the episode is going to be and, uh, get in on that episode, you can do that now. And also as our hopper is empty on other questions, if you want to email us or Facebook us uh, questions, that was the perfect time to do that. Uh, also, uh, we do have a Patreon uh, if you want to support the show. Although right now we are flush on uh, posting money. We are good to go. We've switched over to completely remote, so we don't need a lot of new recording equipment at this time. Everybody's got good mics to use. So we, we are, we are set there. So right now in, in these times, in these trying times, uh, you know, corporate statement here, uh, if you want to help support someone, um, we recommend that you support, uh, somebody in your area, whether it's somebody who as, as businesses are opening and then having to close back up because of COVID-19, or if, uh, you're supporting, people who are protesting uh, racial disparities in this country or, uh, you know, and some of the societal impacts thereof, or if you just have people who are out of work in your area, or there's a lot of people closer to you who can probably use that money and support more than we can. So we recommend that you uh, support those, those groups and charities uh, over, over us. We are doing okay right now, but we appreciate the support for everybody who does can, who, for everyone who does continue to support the show right now, we really do appreciate it. So we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, it's time to dig into the penultimate Psychic Awakening book, War of the Spider. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, 
waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is talking about the contents of Psychic Awakening, The War of the Spider. But first, because this always happens while we're recording on Sundays, the pre-releases for next week, which so these will be up for pre-order when you hear this episode, We are Psychic Awakening will be complete with Pariah up for pre-order. Which, I mean, they are cranking these books out at a rapid pace, which makes me think that they really wanted to spread them out one month at a time. Yeah, I think they, the pandemic definitely impacted their plans. <laughs> just a little. Just a little. I mean, things haven't been out this fast since we were like had all the codexes go boom, 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 boom when they were first. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I will give them a pass on that because, like I said, I'm pretty sure they meant to have this out in a much more deliberate schedule yes but yes we get pariah up for pre-order uh the new illuminor zaris model which is baller mm-hmm. <laughs> it yep. looks awesome uh the new uh, inquisitor draxus neat and uh Ephriel stern and kiganil her uh harlequin outcast bodyguard yeah I, I i want half of that but i'll probably end up getting both halves of that well, and I yeah, and I think they are they are one box that contains both of them. So right, yeah, it's like the box they did with the the Sister of Silence and the Custode. Yeah, a couple months back. Yeah, and and then even though we don't normally talk a lot about books, the uh, Black Library Ephrael Stern Heretic Saints that Mega Limited Edition is impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a it's lot. A, so the thing that's kind of interesting to me is that it, that is everything that's in there. Cause like, there's like a wax seal, a candle, like art prints, the books, obviously. But like, I'm actually surprised that it, like, it doesn't include the model. Like I would have figured you, you know, I don't know. I would have just figured that they would have included the models in that set too. Well, I think this is, this is just a black library thing. So they, yeah, I guess, I don't know. It just seems weird to like do the whole special edition thing for this. I don't know. This would have been neat to be like, just like when you do like the Eisenhorn stuff, where we're like, again, same thing. Like, here's the you know Eisenhorn limited edition book. Oh yeah, here's the model in the set too. But eh, I'm but, about yeah. that corporate synergy. But it looks like it's got a new like novel or novella, and then a special copy of Demonifuge, and then, like you said, a wax steel and stamp, six sister dice, which look better than the ones that they actually released as the sisters <laughs> dice. Which is, I mean, I want those sisters dice. Those are awesome. Yeah. Because they just have fleur-de-lis as the pips. And then, like, symbols probably on the ones and sixes, which is always a pain. But what can you do? It's still better than the sisters dice they have. A cloth yeah. bookmark, a coin, three art prints, an Ephrael Stern enamel pin, all in a special collector slipcase box. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's very extra. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's very extra. <laughs> if you're a hard, hardcore – I am not that hardcore Sisters fan to, to go out of my way to get this necessarily. But it's it's impressive. Yeah. And then uh, Demonifuge gets re-released. And uh, yeah, so – I mean, we were wondering if like next week was going to be like – you know, were they going to keep Psychic Waitings every two weeks? And that's our answer is yes. So – which means ninth edition has to be right around the corner. Yeah. It's got to be coming soon. Yeah. It's it's at least good that they're keeping a two-week cadence, though. That way we're not having to double up on recording episodes. So <laughs> It's nice for them to consider that for us. Yeah, the question is, when we record our next episode, will we be talking prior or will, we, will Ninth Edition be out by then? Because <laughs> who knows uh, what they could drop <laughs> on us within a week. True. <laughs> so, so who knows what will be announced when you are listening to this episode? Uh, but... Yeah, so Pariah, book nine of the Psychic Awakening series will finally be out. Ah, but we're not here to talk about Pariah. We are here to talk about the book that precedes it, which is War of the Spider, which uh, focuses, obviously, on Fabius Bile. He is front and center on the cover. Well, front and to the left on the cover. And uh, also features the uh, Adeptus Custodes, Sisters of Silence, Officio Assassinorum, uh, Death Guard and a new subfaction of Chaos Space Marines for Fabius Bile. Uh, now, fluff wise, this one again was more of a side story than tied to the main Psychic Awakening. Like this, these are things that are happening. But this has probably been one of my favorite stories that they've done because it's actually self-contained. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it also hints at like larger things going on, which right is yeah is also neat. And we actually had a psychic awakening in this book. Yes. <laughs> it only took him eight, eight books. Yeah, I mean, this is the most on point one of these has been. I I know I actually I really enjoyed reading the fluff section on this. Uh, I mean, it, it was as complete a story as the one in Engine War was, but I felt mm. this one was done better. It was just neat that you had like that kind of whole three point fight. Like you had, you know, uh, Bile with doing his thing, you had the Death Guard trying to track him down, and then the Custodes and eventually Assassins, like, hunting both of them down. Like, it was kind of a neat little, like, rolling three-way battle. Yeah. And I kind of like how they pulled them in. So, so first off, I want to say that the Custodes were absolutely right in trying to slaughter all the uh, the Brazen Claws. I mean, I guess it turned out they were right. <laughs> or the Brazen Drakes, sorry. Brazen Drakes. Yeah. <laughs> um, brazen claws are probably a different chapter and if I've maligned them eh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah so that that's our psychic awakening is their chapter master turns out to have like low level latent psychic powers that suddenly manifest into like full blown psychodom and then uh, ends up crossing paths with Fabius Bile who is also pissed off the death guard by stealing an artifact from them and as I think he's want that, to do, yeah, as he has want to do, yeah. And I, I think it did a good job of showing just absolutely how devious and how deeply he plots, but also how he basically ruins everyone that falls under his sway. <laughs> now it's, and then that's so the Death Guard are after him because he stole something from them, so they're pissed because the Brazen Drakes, which become the Shriven. Uh, renegade warband end up hooking up with uh, Fabius Bile and using him to improve their abilities. Um, 
that's and then because the custodes are chasing after them, that's how the custodes get involved. But it the custodes I don't think ever really fight the Death Guard that much. It they mostly stay towards fighting the Shriven, and then there are uh assassins involved, but like usually f- from the all concealing shadows. <laughs> right. Right, right up until that uh, Vindicare ate it. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, the Vindicare was off. The, 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 when they dropped the whole execution force on him, that was that, that was, was pretty, pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah. Also, just one completely side side note to the story. On page fifteen, there is yes. a a you know little little side excerpt of like somebody sending a transmission back to the Lords of Terra, and it is from uh, Shield Captain. Uh, J.F. Robinson. So, if that name is familiar, that is in uh, specifically in honor of uh, Jeff Robinson, who wow, what was it last two years ago now that he passed um, yeah. away? Jeez, yeah, it's been a long. This last year has been a long decade. So, yeah, it really has. <laughs> um, but that was super cool to like on- to honor Jeff that way, like to kind of right. put him into the story, and I thought that was that was really cool. Yeah. So, yes, fluff-wise, this one doesn't really move the psychic awakening thing forward that much. But, like you said, it hints towards other things. And it's a good self-contained story in its own right. So, I I actually really enjoyed this one. But let's get into the rules. Uh, We get a... uh, Their their theater of war in this one is for playing on a field when there are assassins about trying to kill people. And so, it's like... Yeah, you don't control the assassins. The assassins are treated as enemy units by both players, and the tree- assassin units treat each unit of each unit of player's army as an enemy unit. So, like, if you're doing a war where it's like, oh yeah, we're going to build you like you know, Tau versus Tyranids or Necrons versus Eldar. Well, there's also assassins that are trying to kill one or both of you. <laughs> and then we get to the- let's just get right into the rules for like starting with the custodes. Now, uh, custodes, their big thing is now they get shield hosts, which are not like they don't have chapter traits, but they do get warlord trait, relic, and stratagem. There are five options, and I think these pretty much match up with some of the uh, color plates and such that were in the codex. Yeah, they definitely do. Because, like, I know that, like, the Solar Watch and the Quill and Shield and the Dread Host were specifically included in the. In the yeah. codex. Yeah, all, f- all all five of them are... So, like, you've got, like, your generic custodes, and then, yeah, you've got the Shadow Keepers, which are the ones that have, like, the black armor. Aquilin Shield have purple tabards. Dread Host have, like, black shoulders and, like, white tabards. Solar Watch is white armor, red tabards. And Emissaries Imperiat- Imperatus is gold armor and white tabards. And each one kind of does different things. Like the Shadow Keepers are focused on guarding the really bad stuff that's locked away on Terra. Right. (laughs) Or the Solar Watch are the ones that are actively guarding Terra, like manning all the orbital fortresses and monitoring the system. But like if you need to send somebody out to just mess stuff up, that's the Dread Host. So, for example, like we talked about Shadow Keepers, Shadow Keepers... Like, their warlord trait is when you resolve an attack made by a character model against this warlord, subtract one from the hit roll, and when you attack a character, an enemy character, with your warlord, subtract one from their saving throw. 
Including invulnerable saves. Including invulnerable yeah. saves. That line is kind of big. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I noticed like a lot of things that seem to manipulate um, like custodes abilities to get hit in, in here. Like a lot of things that were like, oh yeah, now you're minus one from the hit roll or minus one toughness. You're like, I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, Dennis, I mean, you can vouch for that. If custodes start taking damage, that's when you start having problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just if you fail saves, you're in trouble. But like the Shadow Keepers, for example, their uh, stratagem for one CP is when one of their one of their units is targeted as an attack, the attack is at minus one strength, which against custodes can be that can make a big difference in how many. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Quill and Shield, you haven't like their warlord traders have any damage made against the warlord. See, and this is, would be the group I would take, partially because, yes, I've already painted mine gold with purple tabards. And right. <laughs> Storyline-wise, I had a squad of them hanging out in the Citadel where my Death Watch was at. So, yeah, I really like the shield. And then to, to Kevin's point, their relic for the shield is um, subtract one from the wounds roll mm-hmm. when they're hit. So, if they've got a storm shield. Yeah. but Well, I mean, if they take the storm shield ah, relic, yeah. The storm shield to get the relic. Or like that their strat is basically jump in the way of an, of an Imperium character. Which is perfectly designed for what this faction of the Custodes is supposed to be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dreadhost is all about maximizing damage with their Warlord trait. Or not maximizing, maximizing number of hits, I should say. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's a six-inch bubble of, ex, of unmodified sixes cause extra hits, which is really nice. And then when... And then, of course, their uh, their strat is great for uh, when somebody drops in, they can charge and get an extra d6, take the highest. I mean, that's just a great strat regardless. Right. Yeah, but it's one that we wish we had, right, Kevin? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, well, we do have it. We both have custodes. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, I wonder if I could, like, yeah, I wonder if I could use that, like, slide that into my list for my corn army and be like, oh, yeah. The, you know, um, custodes, probably not. mixed with corn, probably not. <laughs> well, and also the fact that you can do three units at once for two CP. And yeah. thinking ahead, ninth edition, you're going to have more CP. So that's the other good thing is these strats, you'll actually get opportunities to use them, which you don't really get right now if you build like a pure custodes army. Yeah. So that was, in general, that's one of the best things about this because there's also like some really good just Generic. general strats for, for yeah. custodes. The, in current edition, they don't generate enough CP. So you like you might use Victor of the Blood games to yeah. like bo- you know boost somebody at the beginning. You might use one or two strats occasionally, and then the rest of them you're going to save for rerolls because it's so important to not lose models. With more command points, all of these like w- could be useful. Like that's what's super great about this is that this, if they have a, a reasonable number of command points, you could conceivably use almost all of these stratagems, and that's just great. Hopefully, it'll change the way this army plays. Yeah. Let's see, Solar Watch, they get a six inch bubble of an extra inch of movement and being able to fire rapid fire weapons after advancing just at minus one to hit, which you're still hitting on threes, so great. <laughs> or their strat their strat is really interesting. It's a zero CP strat. You use it in any phase in which you destroyed an enemy character with a solar watch model, and the next time your opponent wishes to use a stratagem they have to spend an extra CP to do it. <laughs> I think that's awesome and mean at the same time. It that is. Yeah, Although great. having the trigger of you have to kill a character to pull it off. Yeah. I think. 
it's not something you can just do every turn. No, but but it's it the, it's the thought of taking out a character kind of makes the enemy lines of communication worse, so they have to spend the extra CP to get those things off. So I can see it fluff wise too. Yeah. And then emissaries and piratas, they are made to be used with other Imperium armies. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Nine inch bubble of use this character's w- leadership and expanding all their other aura abilities by three inches, which that's why this one is nine inches and says six inches. It's already figured into that. They specifically state that. And then a strat that, uh, and that will, and their, uh, their relic is an, is a better Vexilla. And let, let's, uh, while their unit is within six inches of a model with this relic, friendly emissaries and periodist models count as three models for the purpose of determining who controls an objective. So again, something, something to counter one of the weaknesses that custodes have is that they often can't hold an objective because they're just too few of them. Well, and the other part of what it's, what it does, which allows Imperium models to reroll failed morale tests. Yes. Depending on how morale changes for ninth edition that could actually be super important. So yes. like that, just the ability, you know, some of those extra abilities and like the fact that this was again, clearly designed with ninth edition, you know, at least in mind, if not like front and center is pretty apparent now that, now that we know that like ninth edition is out there. Right. Yeah. And I think if we didn't know that ninth edition was coming, that would completely change how we're looking at this book. Cause we'd be like, yeah, these strats are nice, but you don't have the CP for them. Mm-hmm. And who, yeah. But it also, that then changes how this one works out because you're going to have to spend CP to run these alongside an Imperium army. So it's an interesting change in dynamic. Yeah, definitely. And then their strat is basically you you pick an Emissaries Imperatus unit, and then that unit can suffer no penalties to hit, wound, or or penetrate armor. <laughs> that's just that's just great. Like one CP for that. Is, oh, and no cover. Awesome. <laughs> no yeah. cover on the saving throw either. And again, if we didn't know about ninth edition, we didn't know that there's versions of cover that will work for melee as well. You'd look at that and be like, okay, I guess that's nice. The rest of it's that's good. Fine, but like, yeah, but but like the fact that like they will not suffer any negatives that you know for one CP that's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we get into their generic strats. You know, some of them are things that we've seen before, like uh, pick a character who's not your warlord. They get a warlord trait, which if you're running one of these, that's a good way to double up on like a on like a codex warlord trait and having your shield host trait, too. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you get you're getting some of the stuff the space marines get like you can have a dreadnought take half damage, which I don't know if they're. Didn't they change that with Errata for Space Marines? Uh, no, they, they, they definitely errata the uh, the one that allows them to kind of tank and like slough off wounds to other other characters, but I don't remember I don't think they errata this one particularly. They errata some of the combos that could be used with it. Um Duty Eternal was the one that they took out. That was Adeptus Stardes reduced the damage by one. Oh okay. so, so I think they did change that. So, but yeah. custodes don't have other things that like overlap with this the way Space Marines did, like Iron Hands mm-hmm. especially. So it may not be an issue here. Like they, I, I don't know if they would errata it. You know, let let the custodes have a little something. They're supposed to be better than Space Marines. So absolutely, and their dreadnoughts are so expensive anyway that right. Like you would act, you would want to use like you would actually get use out of this because it's like no, I don't want them to just 
take, you know, a last cannon in the face. <laughs> yeah. And like, there's other things like, you know, they get the same space Marine, uh, pick a custodian. unit's not a vehicle that you can only wound them on fours, four up, or you can have, uh, your vehicle shrug off mortal wounds for a phase or, and when your your vehicles is destroyed, you can like have it shoot or fight or automatically explode. <laughs> I always like those. Or one word like, "Hey, when you're targeted by an attack, if somebody hits you with AP minus one or minus two, it's AP zero for you." Which also fantastic. And then finally, like we're not going to go over all of these, but I mean they're they're all good custo they're all good stratagems to have, and a lot of them do kind of match things that Space Marines can do, and so it makes sense that they would have. They would be Space Marines, but better. And then finally, we get Lords of the Shield Host, which kind of like it's like their exam, their it's like their version of having an exalted character from you know, like exalted demons from Den- Engine Warrior. We ha- or having chapter like master. a master, yeah, chapter master or something. Captain Commanders, where you spend a CP, you pick a shield captain who's not a named character, and they become a Captain Commander. They get a trait from a list, which can be anything from two extra wounds or an extra one to advance and charge an extra inch of movement or every time this model loses a wound you improve its attacks characteristic by one to a maximum of three or uh, when this mile piles in it can uh, move up to d3 plus three inches and end the move closer to enemy any enemy model not necessarily the closest one and when it consolidates it can do the same thing and does not have to move towards the nearest enemy model so you can just kind of go wherever you want so you can make an absolute beast of a shield captain. Oh, and you left out strategic mastermind. Ah, yes. When, uh, you can get uh, D6 uh, on a D6 for each command point you spend to use a stratagem on a five up, you get the point back, but you can only get one back. But it, it's just nice that you have a way to kind of get that in whichever custodes army you want to play if you pick that trait. True. Yeah. I, I think this is a one CP well spent. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. and the fact that in ninth you're going to get that CP back on the first turn, because your first turn you'll have a command phase and you'll get one one CP back automatically, so it's practically a free upgrade. It's like there's there's no reason to not use this. So, so Dennis, you are our custodes player. What is your take on these updates? I like them. Um, fluff wise, I, I really like them, but um, I don't know that I use this as much on the battlefield. I mean, I'll probably use some of the stratagems as we know we have more CP. Definitely use the captain commander thing, but I, like I said, I would want to run minus the quill and shield, but the quill and shield is also better if you pair it with like something else. Like, and in my case, it'd either be um, death watch or inquisition. And I don't know how either of those two would play right now. And pure custodes, it, I don't know. I, I would probably shoot for one of the other factions, either like Shadow Keeper, Solar Watch, something that either increases my movement or my my damage. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing to keep in mind about a Quill and Shield is you could use that to protect, uh, like you could protect your Shield Captain with mm-hmm. a with infantry or dreadnought because they're still Imperium characters. I mean that is true, but normally they're well. As I normally they should be on the front lines doing stuff, but you'd want people with them to kind of, like you said, yeah, take some of the wounds for them. Right. And that trait is so good of having damage. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I might stick with it. I don't know. I'll have to play around and see. <laughs> or if like you, let's say you dropped an inquisitor in, you know, just like one character rather than bringing in a whole like detach right. or something, you could protect that inquisitor, which that would be what I would want to do. Cause in my, my fluff of my, my group, 
the quill and shield are out of that thing to protect a certain inquisitor. So, Hey, which, I mean, there you go. There's your crusade army right there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Then let's jump over to the other half of the talons of the emperor who actually have a rule named talons of the emperor now. And that is the uh, sisters of silence. They are fundamentally unchanged from how they were in uh, the white dwarf code codex slash index that was released for them a few months ago. But uh, I mean, they're still good and they, they represent something that the custodes did not have any access to. And that was anti-psychic capability. And the problem, the reason you never took them was because they were really hard to fit into an army because you had to basically take a, an extra detachment that had nothing in it other than you had to have like three units of them to build a vanguard detachment, which you still can. That is still an option. But now they have a rule called Towns of the Emperor. And that rule says if your army is battleforged, then your Sisters of Silence faction units can be included in a custodes army without making it no longer count as a custodes detachment for the purposes of uh, like rules. So, for example, like their Aegis of the Emperor would still apply, but it would, the sisters wouldn't get it, but it wouldn't stop the custodes from getting it. No, I really, really, really like this change, which that was one of the biggest complaints I had was the talents of the empire box came out in the seventh. You got to play with the two together. Eighth hits. Well, you can still kind of use the two together because they're Imperium. And then as soon as they took away the Imperium keywords, like, okay, you're separate factions. Nice knowing you. <laughs> and so this kind of brings it back in line. And I am thrilled to to kind of, well, I have to put two more squads of five together and another Rhino together, but I could field four squads of five in two Rhinos and just kind of toss them into an, a Custodes army and then have that psychic defense that Custodes lack. Yeah. And, you know, they're still, they're untargetable by psychic powers and they subtract, they cause anybody within 18 inches making a psychic or deny test to be at minus one for every unit, every psychic abomination unit within 18 inches up to minus four, which could theoretically shut down a psyker pretty quickly. And the yeah. good slash sad thing is the rhinos are not psychic abominations. They're just- no, they were once upon a time, Oof. a long time no, ago. Hilarious. What? And it was hilarious. It was hilarious, but you just had like the one sister hanging out on top, broadcasting her nothingness out into the void. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this and, makes more sense that they're not, so I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. It, although it does sound like, hey, this is a, another set of good Imperium characters for shields to protect. Uh, well, they're not characters, yeah. though. Right. Oh, they are. They don't have characters. That's right. They no. Don't have characters. No, because they're all oh, units, and that was the thing. is like you could take right. a zero HQ Vanguard. Right. There is there is that's one that's right. a character. That is true. There's one one character, Sisters of Silence. <laughs> well, I did not pick her up, so I mean, I don't know that she looks vastly different than any other Sister of Silence. Was, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but mean, they're all okay. I'm still slightly sad that once upon a time you could like mix the squads, and so it'd be probably cool to have like a squad of like three guns, one sword, and one flamer. But now that you you can only have a flamer squad, a sword squad, or a gun squad, it's eh, yeah. Which I did I notice that 
their uh, sword squad is better because they're now their sword is plus two strength instead of plus one. So they're yes hitting at five, which is pretty good. Yeah, and a D three damage at minus three AP. That that's yeah. gonna through things. Yep. And I just really like the the bolter g- group now because they can target psychers. <laughs> yeah, because that's something else they got that they did not have in White Dwarfs. They actually have stratagems, which is nice. So, uh, like for one CP, they can cancel a psychic power within eighteen inches on a just on a on a three up, or uh, like you said. Uh, let's and see. Rob, the other thing yes? about that, they do that after the n- deny roll. So it so you don't do it until you know it hasn't been canceled, right? <laughs> so if you had another psyker, I don't know how where you like an inquisitor. It. Okay, yeah, like an inquisitor who fails their deny, then you can activate this to just say no. Well, right. Hopefully, say no. <laughs> oh yeah, the prosecu- yeah the prosecutors uh, that that's just built into them. So they can target psychers. Yep, that's why I'm going to run two squads of those because try and pick out some psychers. But they do have a strat that turns their uh, bolt guns into 18 inch assault three. That is nice. Actually, that's very nice. That's very nice, yeah. especially because 18 inches is like their magic bubble of range. That's where you want to be with these with these ladies. Right. Even though their normal is 24, rapid fire, 18, assault, if you're just at, at the like far range, perfect. Yeah. If you're close range, well, well. Yeah, then you stick with rapid fire. Yeah. Or, hey, if somebody uh, somebody perils within 18, within 18 inches of them, have them take an extra D3 mortal wounds <laughs> for a CP. Or... Only one CP makes that one just really painful. Because, yeah, I yeah. would that if I can kill a psyker. Or they're, they're, uh, the sword unit, the Vigilators, can uh, add one to their wound roll, which they're already wounding really well at strength five. So, yeah, it's like, I think all of their strats are good. They they feel like a very solid addition now, especially when you figure in that they just drop into the custodes without any issues. Right, they feel like a support, I don't want to say battalion, but that's the best word I can think of because they're not a battalion, but a support group to just plug into there and it fits in nicely. And I mean, their points cost is low enough that it, the custodes won't take a hit really for having them around. Right. Vanguard is support Vanguard. But what with like the null maiden rhino is going to be 67 because of the storm bolter and then five prosecutors is 50 points. So mm-hmm. no, they're great. So yeah, no, I, there's n- really nothing bad bad about them. Uh, and again, th- the talents of the Emperor rule changes them up so much and makes them so much more viable to use. It gives them a purpose again. Yes, and you know, as as you pointed out, Dennis, it makes them feel like they are part of you know this this unified force of you know the talents of the Emperor that they kind of promised us when they dropped the box a while back. All right, so that's going to switch us over to Imperial Agents, which gets us to the Assassins. Which, the Assassins, they, they're they mostly the same. Their points cost is 95, which is what it got bumped to in uh, Chapter Approved. Mm-hmm. So that, that hasn't really changed. They did change the Execution Force, so you no longer get the extra CP if you take one of each Assassin. But you would yeah, still have to take, th- yeah. You still have to take three. But if you take four, but also they made it so that you can't take like two vindicators or two, mm-hmm. two of anything. It has you can't double up on data sheets. They also, I, I don't remember if this is a change or if this was 
or, or if this was updated in chapter approved as well, but they also specified that they just like the sisters, like don't, uh, they can be dropped into any Imperium army without breaking chapter tactics or shield hosts or any of that stuff, which is nice. So that you could just add them and you still get the benefits. Your, your space Marines still get their chapter tactics and their benefits. Yeah. That well, the big was- thing is you don't, you don't have to spend CP. Right. Yeah. Cause it was like, it was this weird thing where it was like, it was one CP in matched play, mm-hmm. but like three in narrative. And then they eroded it to just be, two CP to drop an assassin in. But that was something you did like before the battle. Like you didn't necessarily have to work them into the list. You just had to have the, the points points available. Yeah. Well, I, I jumping forward to the stratagems, I do like that. They, they kept that ish around with the yes. shot with shadow assignment. So two command points and basically your army has to contain exactly one. So it's, you know, if you have the detachment, you can't use this, but if you have one assassin before the game starts, you basically can spend the command uh, two command points and just swap it out for a different one. So if you have your, you know, Calexus assassin and you're facing my world eaters army, you spend the two command points to put in something that's going to kill melee units and you're good. And that just right. having that flexibility in your back pocket's great. But yeah, I just I like the idea of just being able to just drop like it it it's an assassin just put him in and that brings them in part or brings them into parity with what they had what they did with like Inquisition and White Dwarf where you could just mm-hmm. have an Inquisitor in an army without having to take up a separate slot or a separate detachment if you want to do but you could only do one it had you could have like this you can do one assassin in any detachment or you can take an execution force that is basically up to all four. And then, yeah, they still have their, they can never have a warlord trait. You can basically, or deep strike them in effectively. And then four up, everybody's got a four up involved save. Date sheets, their stat lines, I think are pretty much identical. Yeah. Everything in here that I remember, like is, is identical to what they had before. I don't think anything changed. Right. So your Vindicare is your, your ultimate sniper who is just really good at picking out characters uh, and then killing them. Uh, Calidus are your deep strike in the middle of a unit or very close to a unit and can shoot and charge after falling back and can screw with your opponent's ability to cast or to cast to use stratagems. The Eversore is the, the blender, <laughs> which I still don't know if, if Eversores are quite as, as solid. I know some people swear by them. I just, on paper, they the math doesn't look like it works out, but maybe it works better than I think. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it works better than it used to. Cause I remember in like seventh edition, you looked at him and it was just kind of pretty obvious that he wasn't going to do anything, but with his, you know, the number of attacks he gets, the fact that he gets additional, you know, when he charges and the killing rampage where he can basically just continue to kill. Like, I mean, he, under the, under certain circumstances against the right target, I think he would be, like you throw him into a uh, into a, a unit of orcs, and I think he'll get work done. It depends on how many orcs. That that's the thing. It's like it was made to kill hordes, but against a horde, he's going like he won't have the survival. Like he'll get a good alpha strike in, but mm-hmm. he won't wipe the unit, and then they'll murder him. Yeah, but then that's when you get the bio meltdown, and you can do. You know, yeah, I really think that's his point: is to get the alpha strike and then die, and then do damage and death. Thing yeah. is, the bio meltdown has a fifty-fifty chance to do D three mortal wounds. Sure, which yeah, it's not wonderful. It's no, not great, it, but yeah. 
But I think that's the point that I think if you throw him into a horde or like a, a not very strong unit, like he obviously like everything does, but like if you get him close enough to like a unit of fire warriors, he's going to murder that whole unit. Yeah. And, and that's really where he, where he's going to excel. So it's like, he's good at killing mid-sized infantry units. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just like, he's like, Oh yeah, he's made for killing hordes. Not assault, not, not hordes that can fight back, but like getting into like guard detachments yeah. or if a unit, like if somebody's got a screening unit, that's kind of stretched out a bit. He can get into them and he'll just kill a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, he's got his uses. I just, I, I think maybe it's just like my mental expectations of what he's designed to do and what he actually does don't quite gel. So, that, and that may just be me. And then there's the Colexus Assassin, which is your anti psyker assassin, who is, is probably like, I think he and the Vindicare are tied for like most effective assassin on the table. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he's. If I was going to take one, I would take the Calexus because he is going to provide stuff that, you know, especially in the context of this, this book, he's the one who's going to provide like the most psychic support for you, which is something that not all factions have. Yes. So he provides much needed psychic defense. And then it, like I said, in the case of I'm playing an army that has no psychers, I spend two command points at the beginning of the game. I replace him with the Vindicare and I'm good. So like, I, I think he's going to help you out the most in the most situations. Yes. And then as, as you said, with the strat, he, you can just swap, like you said, two CP, you swap him out for whatever is going to be the best choice. Yeah. The video. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, and then otherwise, like uh, all the strats they had in the white dwarf codex are still here and pretty much unchanged. So for example, you'll, you can have a turbo penetrator round from your Vindicare or a double kill so you can shoot twice. Or your Eversore can uh, heal, can uh, not take wounds on D6s except for mortal wounds. Or maybe fight an additional time this phase, but which there with stim overload, yeah. I think, w- yep. is the way you make him the most useful. Yes, absolutely. Because he's going to have eight attacks on the charge, being able to turn that into 16 plus his ability to just keep doing, you know, mm-hmm. keep attacking as he kills things. That will actually make him, maybe that's where, where he need. you know, yes. that's the thing yeah. you need to use him for. Which again, having more CP available in this edition makes him more viable. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that they're, they're pretty much going to be playing the way they were up to this point. So they haven't changed a whole lot. And then we get to Death Guard. Uh, Death Guard, uh, I mean, the main thing there is they updated... First off, they updated them to have the Hateful Assault and Malicious Volleys rules, so they're like all the other Chaos stuff, so they fight pretty much like Space Marines. So, could I, I want to take a moment here as we start on the Death Guard section to yes. side tangent rant for a moment. Figure out how to format your books, GW. Don't put... You put all the custodes stuff with all of the sub factions first, and then the relics, and then the the uh, your stratagems in the Death Guard section. Like ten pages later, you put all of the relics and stratagems first, and then you put the sub factions. Please just keep stuff consistent. It's super annoying, and it's not because of how they layout because like it takes up the same number of pages. It just it's frustrating because I was reading through it. And I'm like, wait, did I did I miss something? Because I'm already at relics. <sighs> it's annoying. 
Well, and again, it's just it's the the there's not one person writing this book. There's <clears throat> several different. You know, they've got a, a pool of writers, especially with a book like this, where you're probably having like, oh, you know, Death Guard best. You're going to write this that faction. You are good at custodes. So you're going to sure, write that. Sure, but a copy editor could look at that and be like, oh, wait, how did we do it for custodes? Okay, cool. Let's let's move these four pages in front of these four, and now it follows the same format. Yeah, annoying little pedantic side side tangent quest thing but <laughs> anyway no, you're fine <laughs> um we get uh yeah several new relics um i don't know if any of them are on like separating plate level is as obviously good <sighs> yeah i don't think so um, but again with more cp maybe being able to you know having be able the, to take multiple relics not a bad thing the epidemis Epidemius, I don't know how to. Epidemicist, the epidemicist blade is really awesome for demon prince. Replace yeah. your hellforge sword with a plague weapon. That is huge because you couldn't do that before. That that is the one I think that you would sp- is worth spending the CP to get the extra relic. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, other than that, they were they're like good. Place a bale sword or a bolt pistol. The Lord Contagion one's not bad if you're gonna. The Ague Stone is, is not bad if you're going to plan on getting him into close combat a lot. Mm-hmm. Although, okay, Putrid Periapt isn't bad either for your Psychers. Model with this relic knows one additional Psychic Power. Once in each of your Psychic phases after a Psychic Power is resolved that was manifested by a model with this relic, that model can regain up to D3 Lost Wounds. That is nice. That's another one where, like, throwing that on a Demon Prince who is going to be taking fire because, like, if he gets close enough to do close combat, he's going to be close enough to take hits. Being able to just like, oh yeah, he's gonna cast. No, that one's that one's very useful in the right situation, I think. Yeah, and then we get strats, which, like you said, is ass backwards from everything else. Well, so the one thing I liked about this is the one big complaint about Death Guard is that they didn't have the re-roll to hit and wound modifiers that other you know other forces had, where like their Lord of Contagion doesn't give re-rolls the. You know, they didn't have somebody that was kind of acted as a lieutenant with these stratagems. Now you do. And I think that's awesome. Yes. So the one, like you're specifically talking about Harbinger of Nurgle, mm-hmm. which lets your Lord of Contagion just gain an ability for one CP, which is six inch bubble of reroll. I'll hit rolls of one, which they had demon princes kind of providing the same thing, but having it actually on just like a normal leader character yeah just i mean and it is only for the phase so it's like you have to spend the cp every phase if you want to do that but it allows you to have more of those re-rolls because with before like with death guard you had to have a demon prince because that was the only way to get re-rolls now yeah. you have tactical flexibility of oh i can take a lord of contagion and do this with him and get him get re-rolls that way However, my so far, I think my my two favorite, like immediately, like I want to use these two together. Strats are virulent rounds and relentless volleys. <laughs> yes, because these are stupid good. So first off, virulent rounds. You target a unit of plague marines in your army, you, and they're all their bolt weapons. Uh, gain the following abilities: plague weapon, which is already good. <laughs> Yes. And then when resolving an attack made with this weapon against infantry, uh, unmodified wound rolls of sixes are AP minus four. So you basically get like Eldar Bladestorm ability out of your bolters, who also reroll ones to wound. And then Relentless Volleys, you pick a Death Guard infantry unit that has bolt bolt guns or combi bolters, so you could use it on your like Terminators. Uh, all those guns become rapid fire two. 
combi bolters become rapid fire three. Yeah. So basically they just gain an extra shot. Yeah. Well, two shots if you're within rapid fire range, which. Well, sure. Yeah. But one, one, one on the profile because yeah. the combi bolters were already rapid fire too. So right. it, it's clarify. I like that because it's clarifying that like, no, your combi bolters don't double necessarily. They just improve by one. Right. And also considering the Death Guard get to rapid fire at 18 inches rather than 12. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those two together, I mean, you can just decimate enemy units with that. That's fantastic. Or, hey, if you're taking that uh, Epidemicist's Blade for your Hellforge Sword Demon Prince, Soul Harvest, you choose a unit that has a Demonic Axe or Hellforge Sword, and when you fight against an... Uh, you get three extra attacks, but they all have to be up against infantry. Okay. <laughs> and that thing already gives you additional hits when you roll sixes to hit. <laughs> so, I mean, you can just absolutely clear out a unit with that. Or foul gush, because foul blight spawn weren't good enough. <laughs> Where you pick their their sprayer, which is one... Their sprayer is one of the, the best shooting weapons in the game. It's ridiculous. Because... It's a three damage flamer plague weapon, but the thing about it is it's strength, it's assault D6 and strength 2D6. So now it's assault 2D6, take whichever one you want, probably the highest, and strength 3D6, take the two highest. Yeah, that's super useful. (laughs) Yeah, you're just going to murder things with that. Or... Uh, hey, for two CP or three, if the unit's big enough, uh, add one to your disgustingly resilient rolls for plague marines. You thought they weren't tough enough as as is? Well, yeah. Let me let me tell you something. Uh, no, I, I like these, and like Death Guard, pure Death Guard armies kind of suffered from the same thing that Custodes had, where like they tended to not have a lot of command points, and they t- definitely tended to not have a lot of rerolls. So, like, I love all of these stratagems, and I love oh, the yeah. fact that in New Edition we're going to have command points to spend on them. Yes. And, and a lot of these also answer the concern that a lot of people brought up about Death Guard is that, yeah, they've got sticking power, but they don't have killing power. Mm-hmm. And by giving them more shots, deadlier shots, more swings you know stronger stronger swings things like that that this helps address that to some extent and especially on units that like didn't get a lot of focus because like plague marines you you kind they plague marines almost became more of a tax for this army than anything else so yeah. having strats here that make plague marines actually some you know maybe not linchpin units but definitely units that can contribute to the fight it's really good yeah. Well, and there's just a lot of things like that gave them like extra attacks. There's Creeping Blight, which is kind of the melee version of Vigilant Rounds. Trench Fighters, which allows you to use one extra attack with your Plague Knives. Turns them into like, chain swords, basic plague, you know, plague weapon yeah. chain swords. It's like, it's just so cool that like they've got a lot of unique, uniquely Death Guard versions of things, but also have a lot of options now. Yeah. But at the same time, it's still going to cost you CP to use them. So they're not always there, but they're yeah. It, like we say mm. with strats, they're always there in your back pocket. Yeah. Oh, and then there's a whole third page, which the the one I see on here that I don't think anyone will ever use, Fire Fever, because it works on Hell Brutes, which you will never take in Death Guard, because my yeah. fitting light haulers exist. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's my my one complaint about this this the Death Guard section 
is that it didn't do something that really needed to be done and apply disgustingly resilient to more units. Like, they needed to give Chaos Lords and Sorcerers and... Hellbrutes. Hellbrutes. I can understand, and even then, like, Defilers, like, there's a there's a plague company in here. When we get to there, like, they show off artwork of Defiler, and it's like, nobody will take Defilers because all the other plague, all the other demon engines you have in here have Disgustingly Resilient, and that's the one that doesn't. Until you mentioned that, I forgot they had access to... to- to defiler so yeah yeah yeah. it's like yeah why would you ever take one because they're they're not as good they're i mean yes they automatically regenerate a wound which is nice but it's not nearly as good as disgusting resilient yeah and you've got plenty of other like blast weapons in the yeah you've got plague burst crawlers why would you need defilers oh yeah speaking of uh plague burst crawlers uh there's a accelerated entropy one CP, uh, use the stratagem before the battle, Plague Burst Crawler model on a Plague Burst Crawler model in your army, Entropy Cannons um, on this model, with uh, and any and all friendly Plague Burst Crawlers within seven inches of that model uh, basically become Plague Weapons, and Resolve Attacks uh, with damage of one or two become three instead. So right, because your last cannons... Like- yeah, your last cannons will never do less than three damage, and they're Plague Weapons, which yeah. is... Just asinine. Yeah, and you don't. I mean, like you see entropy cannon sometimes, but most people just decide to go with plague spitters. Yeah. So it's like again, it this gives you an opportunity. It gives you reasons to take those other options. Yeah. Now there's some good strategy. Like there's good stuff in here. I, I really like what they added. Okay, I take it back. There is there's a strat here. Before the battle, contaminated monstrosity. Use the strat before the battle. Select one Death Guard unit from your army with a wounds characteristic of 12 or less for one CP or 13 or more for two. So it'll cost you two. And if that unit does not have Disgustingly Resilient, it gains it. So if you want a Disgustingly Resilient Defiler, it will cost you two. Yeah. I still think that should have just been an errata. Yeah. But I like that because that means that you might actually take... For example, like a Chaos Lord, or yeah. you might take, you know, you, you, again, like it gives you more flexibility and the other stratagems and stuff in here and make it so that you're still probably going to take a Demon Prince, but Demon Princes are no longer auto takes for the yeah. rerolls. You have flexibility to take that cool Chaos Lord that you converted up in sixth edition that I've never been able to run. Right. <laughs> Or hey, if you want to land Chaos Land Raider with disgustingly resilient, you can do that now. That's right; they have access to Land Raiders. They do, <laughs> and Predators, and and they have strats to use them. Like, yeah. But yeah, that's the thing is like you look at one of the problems. Yeah, Death Guard being such an early army in Eighth Edition, they had two pages of strats, and one of them was like one of those pages was half the Chaos Moon Table. Yeah, uh, yeah. So they had ve- they really didn't have a lot of stratagems to work with. So this really brings them up to par with all the armies that have been released since. Like yes, especially definitely. when you think about like uh the stuff that Chaos got in uh Faith and Fire or Faith and Fury. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then we get the plague companies for them which is like the uh the subfactions that for example the uh Thousand Sons got or that the uh Custodes got here. 
And each one is kind of focused on different things. So, for example, you have the Harbingers, which is cool because this is the only one that works with a named character because Typhus is considered a Harbinger. Well, and and Poxwalkers. And Poxwalkers. And that's because the Harbingers are all about spreading the zombie plague. So Mm -hmm. all their stuff is really geared towards, like, their warlord trait and their strats are geared towards having units of zombies that are just there to either, like... The Warlord trait lets you create Poxwalkers and add them to units if uh, the Warlord kills somebody. Or uh, have be able to deep strike Poxwalkers, which I like that one. Uh, that one I really do. That one's really cool, yeah. Or, um, or like, if a, one of a Harbinger's unit is destroyed, then the unit that destroyed it takes D3 mortal wounds in the fight phase. Um, there's the Inexorable, which are built around vehicles, either damaging vehicles or making your vehicles better. Or stopping infantry, like they have a strat that lets uh, that subtracts two from charge ranges from other infantry. But for example, you can give your okay. Here's one that you won't actually end up seeing because unholy essence. Select, use the stratagem in the start of your shooting phase. Select up to three inexorable vehicle units from your army. During the end of that phase, those units gain inexorable advance, which is normally only for infantry and hell brutes, and that lets them having no penalty to fire, move, and fire heavy weapons. But they can also advance and fire assault weapons without penalty. It just depends yeah. on how many assault weapons are actually on those. They're usually heavy weapons. Yeah. So ninth edition is going to kind of take away the the reason to use this. Yeah, but I imagine they'll probably FAQ it to do something else, or you know, change it slightly to to make it make it still useful. Well, right. As useful as it would be to have, like, because you're not taking, you're typically not taking uh, vehicles in this army that aren't already built for maneuverability like the blight hauler or the bloat drones or vehicles that are just going to set in a corner like the plague burst crawlers. So I don't know. That seems of limited utility, but maybe there's, maybe there's some cool stuff you can do with it. Yeah. Uh, next up, third plague company is Mortarian's anvil. Their stuff tends to make them more survivable. So like the warlord trait can't be, the warlord can't be wounded on anything less than a four. And then futility made flesh. You can make your terminators, take one less damage from attacks for uh, in the shooting phase um, and then it costs based on the unit size or they've got a strat that lets the a unit her, a unit of infantry heroically intervene as if it were a character which I really get the impression they, they kind of want you to run like mortarian and uh, death shroud terminators mm-hmm. together with this number four is the wretched which is geared towards like psychers and summoning Although their warlord trait is you, uh, when you destroy enemy models uh, with melee attacks by the warlord, the warlord heals a wound per model, up to three wounds per phase. So in in the each fight phase, you can probably heal three wounds, and it's when the yeah. enemy model is destroyed. So you'll heal three wounds, hopefully before they can swing back at you. Right. <laughs> now that one's super useful. Which that along with that uh, periapt, I mean, you could have a demon prince just not die <laughs> yeah well the other the other one that i really like about that is their stratagem the the rotted veil like i don't i don't do a lot of summoning but this actually makes it where like your summoning is very reliable use the stratagem the enemy movement phase select one wretched character from your army that has not performed a demonic ritual this turn the unit can perform a demonic ritual as if it were your movement phase and that model is not moved regardless of whether or not it arrived in reinforcements this turn which is kind of neat because you can deep strike a model in and then, and then do this. 
In addition, till the end of the turn, when this unit performs a demonic ritual, only roll 1d6 on the summoning roll and add 7 to the result. That's huge, because now you have a lot more control over what you can bring in. So yes. you can reliably plan on bl- bringing in certain units and build like your strategy around that. Cause like, I know that, um, uh, I forget his name now. Um, Josh death was, did, a, you know, was really, did, was really successful at tournaments with leaving like kind of a nebulous, like 500 points for demon summoning, uh, in his army with something like this, you're able to control almost exactly what you bring in. And when you bring it in, like that's huge. Well, for example, a unit of, of 20 plague bearers is uh, power level eight. Mm-hmm. So you're, you can't bring any, anything less than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if so, you roll a, <laughs> if you roll a five, you could drop in a unit of 30, if you can find space for them after deep striking in. But, sure. But being able to, yeah, yeah, that's huge. Like that's huge to be able to control it and, and know exactly like what you, what you can bring in and like, and just being able to have that much control is just huge. Yeah. Uh, next one. Fifth plague company is Poxmongers. Poxmongers have better, like one better AP uh, when they attack with a melee weapon within seven inches of their warlord against and okay, resolving attack made by with a melee weapon by a friendly Poxmongers unit against an enemy infantry unit whilst that model's unit is within seven inches of this warlord. Uh, basically, chain from the warlord within seven inches and your melee weapons against infantry are AP one better. I smell a lot of if coming off this plan. There's a lot of if coming off that plan, although it's not hard. <laughs> but th- this is an army that's built uh, – uh, this this one's built around demon engines. Yeah. So this is actually has a relic which I, I could actually see taking on one of your characters. Gives your demon engines a four-up invulnerable save within seven inches instead of a five. Or allowing uh, you to have a demon engine that can shoot in a turn that it fell back. Or when you destroy an enemy model as the result in the fight, like if a, if a demon engine destroys an enemy model in the fight phase, it can heal D3 lost wounds. So like, that's a case where I like a defiler would actually make a lot of sense here. And if you can then give it disgustingly resilient for two CP, Mm -hmm. it would actually work really well with this, this plague company. Uh, Let's see. Then there's the ferryman, which is our sixth plague company. Add two to the result for more enemy morale tests within 12 inches of the Warlord. So basically they count as losing two more models. Yeah. Again, and once we know what morale is going to look like in 9th edition, that may or may not be more useful. Right. Um, they can make uh, Blightlord Terminators shoot better, and they can increase uh, aura abilities by seven inches for a turn. And then finally, the seventh plague company is Mortarian's Chosen Sons. When resolving the attack made with a melee weapon against this warlord, subtract one from the hit roll. When an enemy unit, not counting units that can fly, within eight one inch of this warlord falls back, roll a d6 on a two-up. They take d3 mortal wounds just yes. for daring to fall back. They can make their plague surgeons allow their... Their plague surgeons can let people re-roll ones and twos on Disgustingly Resilient, which normally they can only re-roll ones. Yeah, which is nice if you can pair that with the uh, if you need you know pair that with the plus one stratagem and you basically aren't going to fail disgustingly resilient rolls. Right, and then your plague belchers, plague spurt gauntlets, and plague spewers. Which plague spewers are on Blightlord Terminators? Yeah, plague spewers, plague belchers. I think are on uh, 
Plague Marine. Plague, okay, they get Plague Spears and Plague Belchers. Yeah. On Plague Marines. And then Plague Spurt Gauntlets are the ones that uh, I believe Demon Princes can take. Yeah, because so I believe that the the so the the plague spewers are the flamers that go on like the the drones and in the infantry units. The plague belchers, I believe, are like the the burst like mortar cannons, uh-huh. and the plague spurt gauntlets are what's on the terminators. Oh, okay. what's on the 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 bodyguard terminators? The oh, okay. sides. I forget what they're called now. The that's the death shroud. That's true. Thank you. I'm like, uh, they're called something. Yeah. Cause they're, they're, they're equipped with the hand flamer and the, uh, plague scythes. And basically it makes them all damage too. instead of damage one, which is very good. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that is death guard. I, th- I do like the plague companies as far as like kind of deciding how you want to play your army and then just going in that direction. Yeah. I think it just gives you a ton more flexibility and like, Mostly really good options. Yeah. And then finally, finally, we have the Agents of Bile, which includes a new Creations of Bile Legion, which is probably, strangely enough, one of the best legions they have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if the army army is battleforged, ca- all character, infantry, not counting chaos cultists, bikers, and hellbrutes in a Creations of Bile detachment gain the legion trait below. Note that as per the Shadowy Allies rule in Codex Chaos Space Marines, Fabius Bile himself, as well as Fallen units, cannot benefit, because the Fallen are not crazy enough to let this guy work on them. Let's just put that out there. Uh, But plus one movement, plus one strength. Which I really like, because that's, uh, those are things that I need bonuses to. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Bile himself, bring up his old version to kind of compare and contrast. So he has a much more uh, in-depth uh, sheet now. Yes. <laughs> What's interesting is he lost a point of strength. He lost two attacks off his data sheet, but I think his uh, his equipment makes up for it uh, because he now also actually has the Chirurgeon actually does attacks now too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gets three three additional attacks with that. So he right he lost two off his profile, but he gained gained one. Yeah, and the strength off of his attack or his his base strength got moved to the rod of torment. So now it's a plus one strength weapon. So it, it makes more sense. Like that's where like, he's not stronger than other space Marines. Although with all the drugs he's got going through him, you know, why not? But it, it effectively, he is still the same. Well, remember, man, you never sample your own supply. Yeah. But, uh, okay. So first off his weapons yeah, are just generally better. So the Zyklos needler, Still an 18-inch pistol 3, uh, strength 2 instead of strength star, because it used to have just a strength of automatically wounds on 2, except against except against vehicles where it wounds on a 6. Effectively, it does the same thing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also AP minus 2 instead of 0, and 2 damage instead of 1. So it's a much nastier weapon. Uh, the Rod of Torment is plus 1 strength, minus 1 AP, D3 damage, can only do 1 damage per attack to vehicles. So again, if that one's effectively the same as it was before. And then the Churgeon gives him three extra attacks when he fights at uh, strength four, AP minus two, one damage. So yeah, he lost one attack off his profile or, or no, he lost two attacks off his profile, but then gained three. Yeah. And he's Which, still a chaos space Marine. So he'll still get hateful assault. So he'll still have that extra attack when he, if he charges. 
Mm-hmm. Which, if you're charging Fabius Bile into close combat, I don't know if you're doing it right, but maybe you're not doing it wrong. I mean, you're going to want to keep him close to the front lines because everything he has is short range, and he does have a lot of melee weapons. Like, it's it's not dumb, I think, to charge him into melee. Right. It's not smart, but I don't think it's dumb. <laughs> and then one other difference is he can be accompanied by another model, which is his Surgeon Acolyte, which is the little hunched-over guy that they added to his model, or, you know, is a separate model from him. And uh, that guy has he, not much. He's got uh, AP minus one, like strength four, AP minus one, one damage weapons, or no, strength three, sorry. Yeah, I mean, he's sorry, basically but, just a cultist. Well, it's but, a four cultist, I guess. Yeah, but he's there to make your uh, your enhanced warrior's ability better. Yes. And he costs five points, so it's like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, basically, he gives you, like, if you accompany him with a Surgeon Acolyte, when you roll D3 for Enhanced Warriors, which we'll get in a bit, you can move the result one in either direction, add one or subtract one. And it doesn't count for morale. So if he dies, yeah, Fabius Spile's not going to run away. He doesn't care. And then the Chirurgeon also has another ability. It used to just heal him D3 wounds at the beginning of each turn. Now it also gives him a five up feel no pain. So he's more resilient. He heals wounds just as well as he did before. And a lot of his attacks are better. And then his enhanced warriors. If uh, there's a heretic Astartes infantry unit, that is not a character within six inches of him. You pick a unit that hasn't been affected by this ability and you roll D six on a one. One of the models is destroyed. And then regardless of whether you rolled a D six or not, you roll a D3 and you consult the tables below. And again, you can adjust these if you have a Surgeon Acolyte one way or another. So you can, if you roll a two, you can get anything you want. If you roll a one or a three, you can adjust to two. Um, number one is add one strength to all models in that unit for the rest of the battle. Two is add one to toughness. Three is add one to attacks. I mean, all three good options. Yes. I guess the one that it does have to be a unit that's wholly within six inches of Vabius. So, so you can't just chain a unit away from him. So it does. Yeah, it it does limit it a little bit, but that's probably really good. You, I think you, it it could be abused if it was just any unit within six very easily. Well, and it's actually way better than it used to be because it used to be, uh, the unit had to be within an inch of him at the end Mm -hmm. of the movement phase. Now, not wholly within. So, it's once they don't have like if as long as they can kind of huddle in a circle in a six inch bubble around him, they can all get the benefit without having to have one right next to him. Yeah. But it also makes sense. You can't have them chained off and he's just like, here, here's a drug, pass it on. <laughs> um, their relics are okay. I mean, they're fine. Yeah. Like I you mean, can have, have a, a unit with uh, bolts that always damage non-vehicles on two, and you only get one shot with the weapon per t- per set of attacks if you do that, but it's wounds on a two-up, damage four. That's kind of nice. Or you can have a, a living carapace. Okay, living carapace isn't bad. Uh, the model auto- heals one wound at the start of your turn, and uh, when you resolve an attack against the model, add one to the saving throw, not counting invulnerable saves. Oh, and then Helm of All Seeing, uh, you can get uh, command command points back on a D6. Yeah. So they're not Okay, not okay take back. The relics, the relics are, are good utilitarian relics. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know what? Honestly, utilitarian relics 
work out better than big flashy ones, I think. Yeah. No, and like the hyper growth bolts are going to be like super hilarious when you, when it works, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or like you give that to somebody with like a pistol that has like two shots. All right, fine. You know, you just, you, you do that instead and boom, you know? Yeah. I mean, a chaos Lord who's going to like, he's going to have pistol one and then, yeah. but he's going to hit on twos and now he's going to wound on twos. Oh, and it's eight, eight, four damage. Damage four. Yeah. And then there's strats. They get, they get, about just as many strats as any other legion gets which i mean they're they're all good in their own little ways mm-hmm. i mean because of the because of the uh the legion traits of getting plus one movement plus one strength i think this is going to be you're going to build this more as a melee army so yeah. like the, you know they've got Venomous claws, like unmodified rolls of hit rolls of six automatically score a hit and successfully wound. Monstrous visage, uh, until the end of the turn when resolving attacks made by an enemy model within six inches of this unit, subtract one from the hit roll. Like I think that, you know, there's again a lot of good utility, like things that make them a little bit more deadly in melee, things that make them a little more survivable. So I, I like where they're heading with the strat with the stratagems. Yeah. Or like Hey, plus one toughness when this unit gets shot at. Yeah. Now, and the one thing I do note on these is they're all, they all affect, except for Venomous Claws, it's like they all affect infantry. Yes. But again, if you're going to do, you know, Creations of Bile, mostly it's going to be infantry. You know, right. like that's, you know, so that, that, that tracks fluff wise. And then finally, like one of the ones I like here is for making your character, like let's say you've got a Chaos Lord yeah. who is, you know, you have, uh, you you make that character you once per ga- once per battle you can give this character at the beginning of the game one of these abilities which is either one plus one strength and toughness which is going to stack with his creations of bile legion trait or plus one to advance and charge rolls and plus one attack uh, if he charged was charged or heroically intervened which again will stack with hateful assault or ravenous biology uh, six up feel no pain. And regain D3 lost wounds if any enemy models were destroyed within an inch of them this phase. So, again, like you said, close combat and just, like, all of these are made for close combat armies. Yeah. Well, the other uh, one they, they mentioned as well, like, the Master is watching. Um, use the stratagem in your shooting or fight phase when a Creations of Bile infantry unit in your army is visible and within 12 uh, inches of your Warlord, who's going to be Bile. Is choosing to uh, shoot maybe, a fight maybe his... not. I mean... Well, I mean, I think you can only do this if if he is your warlord. Oh, can I, I think that's the only way you get you can do the creations of bile. Oh yeah, if he is your warlord, Fabius yeah. Bile is your warlord. So it's so okay. it's gonna be it's gonna be fabulous build. But <laughs> if he's visible and within twelve inches, uh you you re-roll the hit you re-roll hit rolls. Like that's amazing. A twelve inch bubble of re-roll hit you know, re-roll hits basically for for a unit, that's it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, which is also probably why they made him a little bit more resilient because you're going yeah. to want to move him forward with them. Yeah. So like I said, but I think th- he's going to be. I think he's going to be close to, closer to the front than he has been in the past. I don't yeah. know that you necessarily want to like just blindly charge him in like you do like you know Karn or some other chaos characters, but uh, he's going to be close to the front because that's you're going to want him. You're going to want him up up and up in the fight. Well, I'm thinking like a rhino with eight corn berserkers and bile and his uh, surgeon acolyte in a rhino. 
<laughs> Move them up first turn to like get them close. Like advance it, pop smoke, try to keep it alive as much as possible. Then second turn, they pop out. At the end of the movement phase, you do enhanced warriors and pretty much get whatever you want because you've got a sur- surgeon acolyte right. there. And then, uh, yeah, and then you just like strategize to taste. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like at that point, because I'm a corn berserker, I just love those guys. So you're rocking uh, strength five base, strength six with the legion trait. Strength seven, because you're going to give them the extra strength if you can. Or would you give them the extra attacks? Well, so well, that's it. You, you get options. So you can give them True. strength seven and then give them a chain axe and chain sword. So making them strength eight with four attacks on the charge, I believe. And then they would get to attack twice. Right. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> like, that's so good. Like it, it seems like, and, and so this is the thing that actually amazes me in, uh, let's see here, one, two, technically four pages, four pages. They basically added a whole new faction to the Chaos Space Marine Army Codex and one of the better ones. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah, it is, it is a bit gimmicky because you've got to have this one character included. Eh. I mean, but, but with, and he with has the other, warlord, but. with the other legions though. Like, if you're taking, well, okay, maybe not. I was going to say, like, if you're taking, if you're taking, you know, Death Guard, you're, granted, I know it's not the same, you know, same book, but if you're taking Death Guard, you're probably going to take Typhus. If you're taking um, Thousand Suns, you're probably going to take Aramon. If you're taking World Eaters, you're definitely taking Karn. I was going to say you would take Lucius if you're playing World Eaters, but that, no, everybody knows that's not true. Um, but, like, you're kind of locked into, like, specific character choices for those legions anyway. So I don't know that it's that it's really that different. If you're going to play word bearers, you're going to take chaplains or dark apostles. So I don't know that it's I don't know that it's as much as I don't know that it's more of a restriction than any other chapter gets. Okay, fair legion, but it definitely makes them play. I mean, they're going to play even differently than world eaters, even though oh, they're, absolutely. it's a it's a different flavor of well, assault like the, army. It's like what we were talking about with, you know, on the Space Marine side, uh, Black Templars, Blood Angels, and Space Wolves are all assault-based Space Marine armies that all play differently. And that's really cool. So this is another assault-based Chaos army that plays differently. Yeah. So all told, I think this is a pretty positive book. I don't think there's any, like, there's nothing here that leaves me cold. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say this personally. Uh, this book has the most in it for me. Like I can use everything in this book. Whereas like with engine war or, you know, faith and fury, there were, there were things I could use. There were parts I could use. I, I everything in here I could use. Like Fabius Bile, you use all parts of the Buffalo. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the new Fabius Bile model is awesome. Yes. Yes, he is. So, uh, and Dennis, I mean, you've got good feelings about the book. I've got good feelings. I'm not like Kevin where I'll use everything in the book because the whole Death Guard section, I can just leave that because don't play it. Because mine, the, the Eldar book is the one that had the mm-hmm. all the stuff cover to cover that I would use. Yeah, it's good that I, they made a book for each of us, though. So that's good. You know. <laughs> I My stuff is like split between like two books because Blood of Balls got my Blood Angels stuff in it and uh, um, Greater Good has my Tau mm-hmm. stuff in it, but I don't use any of the other halves of those books. So, 
And Richard, your stuff is just all over the place. Yeah, like I have, like I've can use like something pretty much out of every one of these books, but like not really everything out of any of the books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this one does sound like because like I've got Inquisition and. I've got custod some custodes and I've got death guard so and assassins so like I can I can I can actually use quite a bit of this book I think so yeah well nice I think even aside from it just being factions that I play like I think for like I said I think the fact that uh, creations of bile is one of the best legions I think that the stuff that custodes and death guard got like bring them up kind of in parity with other armies. I don't think it makes them top tier by any means, but it gives them a lot more options and makes them, it diversifies those two armies quite a bit. And that's something I think they both desperately needed. I'm going to say that only affects custodes due to the fact that we've seen the changes in ninth with command points. Death Guard suffered from the same thing with command points though, too. Right. Like they had not known about the command point change. We would not be saying that. Oh, for sure. For sure. But yeah, I, I think that both of them gained a lot more options for the new edition. And I think it's going to change the way that both of those armies play. And I, I think that's good. I think, I think those both, the, the reason why I kind of moved on from playing both of those armies a lot is those armies can get very stale because there's, you basically kind of have to go with a gimmick build, you know, because there was like, oh, well, this is good or this is good, but you, you don't really like work together. And this diversifies it so you can actually make a more well-balanced force for either custodes or death guard. Yeah, agreed. Although, yeah, again, I like that they gave you a way to give the kind of off-brand Death Guard units disgustingly resilient. I really wish it didn't cost UCP to do it. Yeah. I, I still think that's a that's a massive oversight. I mean, it's it's a it's a weird patch, and I guess it works, but it will also then leave you at a disadvantage mm-hmm. on command points if you dip into it too heavily so you can really only splash like realistically like one maybe two units with that but like it it, it makes it so that if you decide that you want to throw a hellbrood in there it's not a stupid choice fair, if you want to throw a defiler in there it's not well it's still a stupid choice but it's not as stupid a choice. Uh, I you know a defiler with disgustingly resilient suddenly makes it one of the better demon engines they have and then yeah. again you figure in the extra changes to um to ninth edition like the fact that your defiler is no longer punished for moving and shooting true that is true that's a big every chain, one yeah. of their yeah. weapons is a heavy weapon that is true that that is going to be a huge help for them so that okay and, that's fair and a defiler that can fire well it won't be able to fire its battle cannon in close combat because that's going to be considered a blast weapon but like mine is equipped with uh heavy flamers and a reaper auto cannon and now if it gets into close combat it can still unload on those on the people mm-hmm. that it's in close combat with so the the defiler is actually a relatively decent choice and yeah. it becomes one of the one of the more resilient demon engines, other than maybe the plague burst crawler, because the plague burst crawler has one more toughness. But the fact that you know fourteen wounds and auto regenerates a wound, and if you give it disgustingly resilient, and if I mean, you play the and if you take that that uh, which one is it here? You take the the relic which gives it the four up invuln. Yeah, then all of a sudden it's 
yeah, not impossible to, to hurt. Right. No, it, it's again, I mean, and that's what you want out of a book like this. It's like, like you said, you know, rather than having to do gimmick builds, give me tools to make other options viable. And I think they've done that and they've done it with all the factions. I think even yeah. with making, with making assassins not cost you CP to bring one in, just build it into your list. And then if you want to swap it out for another one, that's when you spend CP. It makes them a more flexible, viable choice. Exactly. So, yeah, no, I think honestly, this is probably one, one of the best of the psychic awakening books, both, like I said, storyline wise, I liked the story in this one a lot. The the faction rules, they tie very neatly into all the factions presented and made all of them better choices, which is and more flexible choices, which is really yeah, it's what what I like this is the one of the best of what the Psychic Awakening series I think was really meant to be. Yeah. And like I said, it featured an actual psychic awakening. So Yes, yes. And it turns out that if you shoot someone in the head, that only keeps them down for a little while. Yeah, he's only mostly dead. He was only mostly dead. He got better, kind of. I just, I just love the fact that like, I'm reading through it and they're like, well, you know, the psychic energy coursing through his brain. Well, I mean, you know, what was still in there? And I'm like, uh, did you have to say that? Yeah. Well, when I was first, you know, not to spoil it too much, but let's just say somebody, somebody takes a Vindicare shot to the head. But I didn't, re- like, I was flipping through, like, I just kind of skimming it at first. And, like, I noticed him mentioned at the beginning, and then I noticed him mm-hmm. mentioned near the end. And so I'm like, okay, so they, they take him out at the very end. But then I'm flipping through it, and, like, I'm halfway through, and it's like, oh, yeah, and then his head, like, just puffed out one side, and when a Vindicare shot him, and it's like, wait a minute. Flip, wait flip, a minute. flip, flip. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, no, he got his brain scooped out and kind of patched back together, sort of. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, it's, it's a, it, it, it was a, it was an impressive read. And the, uh, I mean, it was, it was just a really good story. So yeah, probably one. I mean, we've had other ones that are, are really good, but this, this is, I would put with one as one of the best of them. Yeah. I agree. And it does get these, these armies ready for ninth edition. Absolutely. All right. So that's, Spins us into hobby progress. Uh, hobby progress for me has been um, painting. Actually, one of my Warcry warbands. I have, um, I have like their skin tones done. I have gold all over them because I'm playing painting iron golems, and I'm going to do it the GW way, where you paint the gold and then you use uh, Flesh Terror's red contrast paint to actually do mm-hmm. the red over the gold. So I haven't started that yet. I had to buy some Flesh Terror's red. But uh, that'll be the next thing I do. And uh, so, yeah, that is what I'm working on. I know, Dennis, you have been completely, like, packed up. Well, I'm not packed up. But, yeah, I'm still in the process of getting the house ready for going on the market. And that has been taking up all of my time right now. Fair. How about you, Kevin? Uh, I have not really done much. Uh, I was traveling last weekend. So I didn't do anything last weekend. And then this week I just, I've not done anything. I've had no motivation. It's, it's one of those things where it's hard, but like I've got a couple of projects I'm working on and I'm just like, do I want to continue to work on them or do I want to wait until I get, you know, we get ninth edition and then I kind of figure out what I want to do or I don't know. So it's, I'm in a little bit of like a hobby funk right now. I'm trying to figure out where I want to go with certain projects. Mm-hmm. What about you, Richard? Um, I've 
been busy with other things, so I have not gotten a chance to really do anything either. Okay. That's fine. It, we are in weird times, so weird schedules and weird yeah. activity and happens, so... Yeah. So, uh, that brings us to the final part of our show, which is the morale phase, and for this one, I wanted to... Uh, extol the virtues of something I know we have all enjoyed recently, and that is digital uh, RPG tabletops. Uh, for us, I think it's been primarily Roll20, although I know there's other people who sort of like Fantasy Grounds, but I started running my first game via Roll20 last week and found I really enjoyed the setup process. The, the tools made it really easy, and I've been playing in a Roll20 game since... Well, we started a, a Warhammer Fantasy 4th Edition game in person last year, and then when uh, when COVID hit and everybody had to lock down, we transitioned it over to, uh, to Roll20. And fortunately, people have developed, like, interactive character sheets for that. So we were basically, like, once our GM got everything converted for us, we were able to play pretty much seamlessly. And it's been a great experience. And then I've been started running, or I started running D&D 5th edition on it. And as somebody who is brand new to using these tools, I actually didn't have that hard a time figuring out how to get everything set up to, to my liking. Yes. I, I've never run anything in, in, um, Roll20, but I've, I've played a number of games on Roll20 and, a, a lot of the tools that they have, I mean, it works just really well. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I would say is that I don't like using the uh, audio chat on Roll20. So we actually use Discord and then we just play the game in Roll20. But yeah, like the, the tools and the character sheets they have for, for so many games. Oh, yeah. Just make it a cinch to be able to track your character, you know, to, to run the games like our friend Tim, who who runs games for us and for you, has like just so much, like so many things that he can do in Roll Twenty that just make it easier for him uh, to be able to run games. And yeah, it, it's great. Yeah, I mean, and it's like obviously there's a big difference between running like uh, Warhammer Fantasy, which is not a tactical war game at you know a, a tactical map battle game at all. And then D and D fifth edition, which absolutely can be, and is that's how mo a lot of people use it for roll twenty. And yet the tools have allowed, like he's still able to use like the initiative tracker for the few times we do get into fights, or using the handouts feature to like, hey, so this is the person you're talking to, and suddenly bloop, that just pops up on our screen, and suddenly, and he has tracked down arts and visuals and done some editing himself to to create this look. Um, to show off everything. And then like for me running it, there are so many like for adventures, there's so many people producing like really high quality uh, map graphics uh -huh. that you can find, like you can find just about anything. And there's lots of tools online for even crafting your own maps and getting them in formats that are perfectly formatted, you know, like set up dimension wise and with, with or without grid lines or however you want um, to, to import in. And I mean, when I will say the documentation is not necessarily the best, mm -hmm. which, I mean, which is the problem with having anything that's kind of wiki driven. You're at the, the mercy of whoever writes the wiki articles. But I, like I said, I've been able to 
do most of what I want to do on there, or well, pretty much anything I want to do on there. And I just haven't dipped my toe into like some of the really advanced features like dynamic lighting sources and like tracking a line of sight for, from the yeah. character viewpoint and things like that. The dynamic lighting is really, really cool. If it's set up correctly and you're not, and you don't overdo it. Uh, one of our previous world 20 games, we were doing, uh, Oh gosh, which dungeon was that? Um, uh, Richard, Temple, it Temple was, of Elemental Evil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was the Temple of Elemental Evil. And uh, the GM had gone through and like found art assets for all of the maps, all of the things. It was great. But he, he put the dynamic lighting up. When you set the dynamic lighting up, you have to like move the borders on like map assets back so they don't cast shadows. If you want like a wall to not cast shadows. So, like, there was, like, little tweaking and things like that that had to be done that kind of made it a little bit of a pain, but uh, but it was super cool to use. And, like, it, it really created a cool, immersive uh, experience because you're in a room with, like, pillars and you have to, like, move around to, like, be able to see things, see enemies, and get lines, you know, get line of sight. So, it, there's a learning curve to using Roll20, but it is super, super flexible. Yeah. Um, one kind of sub morale phase thing, I guess that I wanted to point out on drive through RPG, they have some, uh, fundraiser, uh, kits that are out there. Um, yes. so a bunch of different, like either like, uh, black lives matter or COVID, you know, COVID-19 things that you can go and buy just a suite of games and, and tools for RPGs. One of them that's in, I think every single package that I've looked at is a program called hex kit, which actually allows you to create your own custom map that you can then import into roll 20, which is what Tim did for our dungeon world game. And it's, uh, Tim, Tim outdid himself. It's it, the, the map is amazing. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't even, describe. it's yeah. It, it's one of the coolest game maps I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, there's any, like if you're doing like kind of a, a hex crawl, like they, they support natively hex grids. If you don't want to do square grids mm-hmm. or you can do like though, and you can set up like this page is our world map and that's going to be all on hex grid. But then when we get to actual dungeons, those will be on square grid, or this is just going to be like a display piece of a display page. No grids at all here. It's really flexible. And then like, this is just like the list of like officially designed stuff. Like they officially support Pathfinder second edition and D and D fifth edition. But then on top of that, people have made so many, so many, uh, sheets. So for example, like we, like I mentioned, you know, Warhammer, uh, Warhammer fantasy role play fourth edition, but like just a short list here of D and D fifth edition, fourth edition, 3.5, Pathfinder first, Pathfinder second. Uh, Shadowrun, GURPS, Savage Worlds, Star Wars role-playing game. What version do you want? Saga Edition, D6 from West End Games, or the Fantasy Flight, like, Edge System? Torg Eternity, uh, Zweihander, which is very similar to War- the old Warhammer Fantasy. Genesis, uh, which, again, is Fantasy Flight, Star Wars. Uh, Earth Dawn, old-school revival, like, you know, th- like old-school clones. Uh, World of mm-hmm. Darkness, the Cypher System, which is what Numenera uses. Yeah, there's just... And and then that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And then if you don't care about character sheets necessarily, but you just want a place to have a dice roller and graphics and care and a chat log, 
it's perfectly good for that too. And you can use that for free. Like if you want to get into like the really deep features, there are pay options and then you can like mm-hmm. buy art assets or buy access to books so that everybody can use those books in your game without having to have their own digital copies. I mean, there's just so much available in this. So if you have been wanting to get a role playing game session and either you can't get together in person because, uh, you know, I know a lot of places have lifted lockdowns, but not every place has. I know England is still, uh, heavily under lock, you know, like lockdown right now, as far, as far as I understand. Um, or maybe you just want to game with people across the country. Like, uh, like, I mean, Kevin, perfect example. You are yep. gaming with a crew here in Kansas city. Yeah, no, I'm actually like in three different games with people now in Quebec and Kansas city. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's super convenient for me because it just makes it easier to, you know, stay in touch with my friends and play games with them. But also like right now with the pandemic, you know, and, and the lockdown, it just, it makes it so much easier to be able to stay in touch. Yeah. And like I said, with our game, you know, we went from playing at, at, at my house here in our kitchen, like we would do dinner every night and then game. And now we basically meet up online at the same time we would have gotten together anyway and just we're all chatting on Discord and playing through the game. And it's it it moves smoothly and it's like nothing like we were able to keep the momentum going on our game, which was huge for mm-hmm. just it was also like mentally really good to still have that chance to re like you said, connect with friends and not lose touch and just kind of check in yeah. on everybody and see how we're like that was the when we started our online warhammer game like the first thing tim did because you know he's the one running is like just kind of did a check in on like how's everybody doing and that just things like that are are so good for mental health right now absolutely all right well i think that pretty much wraps up this episode of preferred enemies when next we meet it will likely be either looking at pariah or possibly pariah and ninth edition who knows at this rate <laughs> but uh it's definitely going to be a busy upcoming month at least because i with all the uh rules bits that they're dropping on us and now giving us like faction focuses and such it's not going to be long before they've exhausted all that and are ready to just drop the whole rule set on us so until then from all of us here at preferred enemies i'm rob kevin dennis and richard uh good night good gaming and well they got a psychic awakening right Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.